All right, do you wanna do you wanna fade right, in? It's uh, like I said, the Ralbog's language is unusual. Once you get used to it, you'll uh, mm-hmm. be able to read it. But it's it's not that you wouldn't be able to read it. It's just that he has certain terms that he uses in unusual ways and certain terms of phrase that he tends to use that are um, not not the usual ones, mm-hmm. not the conventional. Ones. So I think before we start, maybe we should just have the frame in our in our head. The the purpose of of this limud is to know how to how to approach the the Tanakh, like know how to like realize how to how to start learning the Tanakh, right? Is right. That, that that's what we agreed upon that we were gonna right. So that's the and Raul Bag is one is really rare. He's unique among the Rishonim that he really tries to spell out. A methodology. He uses a consistent method, methodology, more or less consistent, and uh, and he lays out what his methodology is in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, is all of it like set in stone? Maybe not. Maybe you know. Does he always stick to it? Maybe not. And we always agree with uh, some of his principles or applications of it. Maybe not. Also, but he definitely has a systematic vision of how to approach. Chumash, and it, and he essentially uses this method in all of his Perushim and Tanakh, uh, all the books that he wrote, mm-hmm. uh, Perushim and Tanakh, even though there are some that are really different, like his Perushim, let's say, Shirashirim, or Mishlei, or, uh, you know, a lot of those are more like reading it as a metaphor, reading it as, you know, all kinds of um, readings that are uh, not sticking to the Pshat as much. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Zohar, he's uh, he sticks to the Pshat as he understands it, but he has a method of basically taking you through the levels of understanding. We'll see, he'll, he'll, he'll show you. Like words, blocks of text, you know, different units of meaning, and then mm-hmm. and, and toaliyot, what he calls toaliyot, which are the lessons that are derived from the, um, from, the, uh, from the text, from a particular, you know, first of all, similar to the Barbanel, he kind of like demarcates what the unit of text is every time that he's gonna speak about, mm-hmm. what he envisions as one unit, and then he makes sure that your knowledge of the words is up to par, meaning if there's any word issues that need to be clarified, he'll address that. Then if there's any continuity or textual, uh, textual issues in terms of just explaining the flow of the text, he does that. And then, and a lot of times embedded in that to a certain extent are the principles and lessons of the story, obviously, or mm-hmm. of the mitzvot that he's talking about. And then he brings it to Aliyot where he identifies what lessons can be distilled from the text. but. Even there, he divides that up into specific kinds of benefits and lessons that there are in the Torah. So in that way, he's like very, very systematic. So we'll see. Okay. Do, do you want to read it or uh, are you willing to, to try? I'm or willing no? okay. to try. <laughs> he's, um, it's a little tough in the beginning, but it's not so bad. Amar Levi ben Gershom yitparach bitaleh hatsur hamamtsi bitvunato vechokmato vedaato hanimtsaot bichvalam asher imtsiotam Okay, so stop there. So first of all, he's the, the, it's noteworthy and it's very typical of like uh, somebody with the mindset of the Ralbag or even the Rambab to start out by talking about the universe, not talking about the Torah, right? Mm-hmm. So he starts out by saying praised and elevated. And by the way, yit, Hashem Yit Aleh is much more common among Sephardic Chachamim. If you ever notice, like the Rambam will always say Hashem Yit Aleh. Mm. He never says, because Yit Barach 
is always like referring to blessing, it being the source of blessing, mm. you know? Being the source of a benefit to us, mm. a benefit to the creation. Which is exalted. Exalted is distinct, yeah. is transcendent. But he says both. Hatsur is the, that he also likes the word tzur, the Ral Bagalat. He, uses, he always says, Big Zerat Hatsur, Gimel Hay. Instead of Bezrat Hashem, he says Big Zerat Hatsur all the time. So, it, meaning that tzur, like Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Hatsur Tamim Paolo Kichodo Chav Mishpat. And the Rambam says in the Morning of Ochim that tzur means he's, the, he's that which all existence is dependent upon, like the rock and the foundation mm. of all of existence, is, he calls him Hatsur. Right? So he created all of the universe with his wisdom, uh, which in their existence is wisdom and grace that can only be fully, cannot be fully understood by anybody than him. That's, it's a, this is like the, the, typical of the Ralbag's way of weird turns of phrase. That, mm. that, that nobody but him can understand it completely, meaning nobody can really fully grasp the wisdom and the chanina is like the hashkacha basically that god's grace in in uh forming the uh the creation so meaning that it's beyond our understanding incomprehensible level of wisdom and uh and uh design in in, in nature okay that's the first start step mm-hmm. that's what he starts with he praises him again yeah. that's interesting Mishako, <laughs> Right, so, he, so he's saying that he, the order of creation, so he started, it's interesting, like he started out by saying, praised is God, who is the source of all of nature. And then he says, the, the yotzer, which is interesting, the, the designer. So the existence of things and, and the wisdom is just, you know, what, what's, what we see in terms of the creation as is. But then he says, the yotzer, the designer, that in, in de- wanting to benefit and perfect the creation, he brought it from imperfect mitziut to complete mitziut, meaning he wanted to, he wanted the universe to be as, as perfect as possible to build from basic to, to the higher and higher levels of existence. He elevated existence until he reached exi- the existence of Adam, meaning that it, it almost sounds like evolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he didn't intend that, but meaning like in the framework of what he's saying is that existence started out with the basic things, basic elements, animals and so on, mm-hmm. until it reached Adam. So it has the highest level of physical existence, which is Adam, that has a mind and all that, as he's going to explain. Mm-hmm. But basically that he sees Adam, first of all, and this is again, very like Maimonidean and very uh, Ralbagian also, to see everything about mankind is really to see it in the context of the universe, to see it in the context of Bria. Human beings are not separate from the Bria, they're part of the Bria. So their function is a function of the Bria. When they're functioning well and living according to the wisdom of Hashem, that's an aspect of the Bria that's functioning well. And when they're not, that's an aspect of the Bria that's not functioning well. It's not just Human, like mankind, we generally see ourselves, most people look at themselves 
as human existence and human life is something separate from nature. Meaning there's, the, nature is, a, is the stage for human progress. That's how most people think. It's a stage for human project, progress. You know, there's nice trees around you. There's animals run by once in a while. We eat some of them. We don't eat others. And, you know, we harvest from some of the plants and we don't harvest from others. But essentially, we define them in terms of being our environment. It's our environment. It's not a, not that we are part of nature, but it's almost like nature is what's given to us. And then we are the, you know, are really the center of it and how we live our lives, either working around nature or working with nature or conquering nature or whatever we do to defending ourselves against nature, whatever. Mm. That's, that's how we, we generally view it as a, an interaction with nature, not that we're part of nature. So one of the things that the, uh, the Chachamim from the Rambam's uh, school especially always emphasize is that, no, mankind is also a natural entity. And that's really what the Torah says, because it talks about Adam being together with the other animals mm. created on Yom Shishi, not a separate... Why, why is that distinction important? That it's... That we're a part of nature versus we're interacting with nature. It's important because it may, well, on one hand, it makes the significance of, it, it broadens the significance of human life because it basically says that it's not only significant from, you know, the perspective of human interest, but actually from the perspective of the universe, whether part of it is functioning and, you know, properly or not is a, is a disorder in the entire system. It's not just a disorder in uh, in, in terms of not human beings not achieving their goals or whatever that might be. But it's also important because it means that just like the, there's chokhmah that governs all of creation, there's chokhmah that governs human beings and it's not two different things. It's not that there's a chokhmah that governs creation and human beings can just do whatever they want and as long as it doesn't, as lo- if it feels good, it must be right and we should just uh, do, you know, we should just choose whatever good we think is, is good and whether it's contrary to what, what good is, uh, you know, what good the universe is ordered towards doesn't matter. So the, the idea that we're living as a, that there's a universe governed by chokhmah and we're part of it means we're also supposed to be governed by chokhmah. The difference is that our, our chokhmah is we have to be conscious of it and comprehend it in order to live by it. It's not automatic, you know, but there's, but the idea that nature is our blueprint for understanding what human beings should be like, as opposed to thinking that artif- there's an artificial reality that mankind has created with their own standards, which is exactly what the story of Adam and Chava is about. The whole story of Adam and Chava is, should mankind be living in accordance with a, a universal sense of what is good and true determined by God? Or no, everything else runs according to God's will, but our society runs according to our will. We do whatever we want, whatever we're capable of doing, according to our own interests. So that's, that's why it's important to recognize that we're part of a bigger system. You know, when do we usually recognize that? When we come into conflict with it. You know, that's, that's when we usually recognize it when, it, when it works against us. That's when we, when it's sunny out, everyone's like, okay, it's sunny out. When it's raining, ah, oh, I can go out. Like, then we, or it's too cold, it's too hot. That when the elements are working against you, extreme weather is a good example. So, uh, but in general, or God forbid, sickness or whatever else could mm-hmm. happen that the universe is not, the nature is not being uh, 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 helpful to you. So it's being harmful or it's being a determinant. So then you have to deal with it. 
but otherwise you ignore it and it's just in the background and whatever you're interested in is what you're doing. So that they're trying to cure us of that ill. You know, but that's found, you see that that's really a fundamental of Judaism. Like it's in everything. It's in Bechot Kriyat Shema. The first Bechot Kriyat Shema is about Yotzer Ovo Echoshech. And then Abat Olam, like those are the two realms, the realm of Hashkachak Lalit, of the universe, of, of creation as a whole. And then Abat Olam is, you know, Hashkachak Pratit of, of mankind. You have Hashemayim uh, Misaparim Kibbutz. Of Israel, of mankind. Yeah, but we are mankind, meaning because the Jewish people, it says Yisrael Nikaim Adab, Veinu Mota Olam Nikaim Adab. Not because they're not human, but meaning like, to be truly human is to live according to your mind, is to live according to what it means to be human. They're capable of being human, and, and, but they don't... It's like Haram Bam's idea of Adam. Yeah, Kof Bitzurat Adam. Yeah, but the Gemara says it. Uh, so it says Adam, so it says Adam, uh, in several psukim it says Adam, and it says Atem Nikaim Adam, Ven Umot Olam Nikaim Adam. It's like a famous... Because uh, it says Adam Ki Akriv Mikem. So it says, why does it say Adam ki akriv mikem? Because Adam nikaim Adam. Adam means a person living according to Telem Elokim. A, a non-Jew could be that. They just mm-hmm. don't have a system to, to guide them to that. So, or like, Hashamayim misaparim kibod elu maasei adav magid harakiyah. And then it says, Torah Hashem trimiyah meshivat nafesh. What's the connection between those two things? Mm-hmm. Nothing. No, just like Hashem created the universe, He also created Chochmah that's to guide human beings to live in accordance with their nature. Mm-hmm. Because we're, we're not pre-programmed, we're, uh, we have free choice. It's more complicated. Our mind determines uh, what we do. Our will, mind, is independent. So, so he's putting these two things out. First of all, he says the universe as a whole is full of infinite chuchmah and grace, as he calls it, chanina. And then he says in, in this world, meaning in our realm, we see that there's a hierarchy of being from the lower existences to Adam, from the chaser to the more complete, meaning... We would be the most, in, you know, the we in, in in evolutionary terms, you know, we would be we're at the top of the evolutionary, uh, you know, process in the sense that we have intellect and the most complicated brains, whatever. Right? He didn't have he didn't have Darwin, but the idea that there's a hierarchy of being, mm-hmm. how those different stages of the hierarchy or levels are related to each other, is what the machloket, you know, would be mm-hmm. within the evolutionary and and let's say special creation believers, but. Um, but the uh, but the idea that there's a there's a hierarchy of being with human beings at the top, and therefore since we're part of nimtzaot, that means that there's chokhman chanina in our creation as well. But that is in two ways. One is in the physical creation of the body and its environment. The other one is in the Torah, which he's going to talk about eventually. Mm-hmm. So that's all the purpose here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He likes saying That's like one of his things. So meaning we, we can see that the body of a person, the physical existence of a person is designed so amazingly that, you know, its body functions, the, the, the limbs of the person, obviously the internal organs, and he's able to, he's able to protect himself from the elements, meaning that this is also called ashkacha. 
what God put in nature for us to be able to survive and thrive and protect ourselves and all that. Just like animals have instincts and all that. We also have ability to protect ourselves and create shelter for whatever. Mm. Right? So he's saying that that's one type of ashkacha, but what? But he says, Lo nimna Right, so that's it would be a it would be a shanda as they say in Yiddish. Mm-hmm. If you know, if Hashem only had hashkacha over our physical existence and was not mashkiach in our shlemuta amiti, right, the real perfection mm-hmm. of the person, yeah. right, and that's where, that's where the Torah comes in. Obviously, is going to say manifests itself primarily, and this is something we I went in the morning bochim. The Rambam talks about a lot, and we talked about a huge amount of those, a lot of more in Bochim Shirim, that um, the primary manifestation of Hashkacha is in, in nature, that, you know, the body works, and all those things. I mean, Chazal wanted us to recognize that, first of all, that, you know, that you see that, that Hashkacha Im, embedded in everything, and even mm-hmm. our ability to, uh, even like uh, a uh, the gestation of a child and the nursing and uh, everything like all of it you see the design and the unfolding and the eventual you know growth of the organism and thriving of the organism is pretty amazing in and of itself but that's only on the physical level what about the intellectual what about the spiritual intellectual level so that's a different kind of hashkacha requires mm-hmm. you know it's not going to work you can't embed that in natural processes physical processes you cannot you have, it has to be something else yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that we're, that we're meant to see ourselves as as part of the creation, but also our our chokhmah is equally part of the creation. Like, just realize like the fact that even internal organs of like other mammals are very similar to ours. Like, mm. for example, you do like dissections on pigs. pigs. Yeah, they do pigs. Yeah. Yeah, but even like shockingly, like like right now we're doing I'm doing shkita. Like like birds also like a lot of the internal organs are very, very similar. similar. God made a certain type of a uh, blueprint. Yeah, yeah, blueprint, and it's. Uh, but it's, like, it it's almost like meant to, for us to realize because who's who's dissecting these things and looking at it right. except for humans? Right. It's like you're meant to see. Right. The oh, there's some just structure. Eat them, they don't look at yeah, exactly. Like there's some structure. There's an order. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the in Tehillim, the Tehillim Chet. It's very nice. It talks about like. Uh, uh, seeing Adam on one hand as very much just a part of, you know, what are we, and mm-hmm. all that, and then saying, you know, but on the other hand, he has like, uh, which a lot of people say either means the power of speech or just means from childhood, you see a baby like develops and grows and you mm-hmm. see the ashkacha that uh, is embedded in, in, in nature. But then what, what do you do beyond, beyond nature? Meaning, what do you do once you have a maturity of... Do you just become a, a smarter version of a monkey? Mm. Which is what most people, like the Rambam would say, most people basically are. He said, like, if your main purpose is just to take care of and pleasure your body and reproduce, uh, what's the, you know, what's your... And even, like, an instinct that God implanted in creation, which is the reproductive instinct, which is so strong because it's so contrary to individual interests, right? It's the meaning, really, it's, the, I, the irony is, you know, food is something that sustains the individual. Reproduction doesn't sustain you at all. In fact, it's just for the sake of the species. 
So, and that's why that drive would have to be so strong because otherwise a person would avoid it because it's just a tircha to yeah. have to deal with the maintenance of the species, right. right? So really in terms of efficiency, it's very impractical. And so, you know, human beings have found ways to thwart the, uh, to, to, to thwart that, um, mm-hmm. that uh, thing. That process, anyway. But the, so, what does he say? So he says, "Asher bavur nimtza bezeh chomer hashafel, mashim tumei tzurot," which is the whole reason why in this chomer shafel there are tzurot. So this is an example of Ralbagian use of philosophical terms. Okay, tzurot means abstract ideas, basically. Tzurot are forms, but what they mean by forms in the Aristotelian sense is comprehensible uh, order. Okay. So he's saying in this lower world, there's comprehensible order in order for mankind to perceive it and to know God. Okay? So, meaning, and this is a huge thing in the Ralbag. Okay? It was actually a huge thing among all philosophers. The Rambam really doesn't talk about it much except in the Mornibuchim and a little bit in Misrudei Torah. He talks about it, but the Ralbag really talks about it a lot. Um... About the tzurot, which is the idea that there's intelligible order, which is like, I think it was Einstein that said something, said it, or I forget which one of the physicists said, what's unintelligible about the world is that it's so intelligible, right? Is that it is intelligible. I mean, that's the most mysterious thing, because it didn't have to be that the principles of science were intelligible to the human intellect. That's actually remarkable. So... That's what he's saying, actually. He's saying that is hashgacha also. That's hashgacha, that God made the world in a way that there are... In, it, it, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Ralbag thinks that everything... He, I think he actually probably does, but the Rambam would say, you can't say that things exist just for man. You don't know why different species exist. The Ralbag, I don't know if he agrees with that Rambam, but even if he did, you could still say, the Rambam might still agree that... I don't know why God created zebras, but the fact that there's an intelligible order to the animal kingdom, and it's not an order that's unintelligible to man, is an, that is, a, is part of God's inviting human beings to perceive his wisdom. Even if that might not be the whole reason why it exists, but that could but be why it's intelligible. Yeah. You know? There's actually that, that guy, uh, that guy, um, who wrote that book, uh, 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 Mind and Cosmos, he also said that also. He had that similar thing where he talked about how the intelligibility of the universe and the fact that that, the, that creation evolved a mind that can... Thomas Nagel. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 uh, that the mind evolved in such a way that it's able to perceive intel- the intelligibility, you know, the intelligible laws is like indicates that the universe... His, his thing was it tends towards mind. That's like what the nature of... Even though he doesn't believe in God. Well, that was the ridiculous thing that he... is. But the, the one really dumb thing in his book. I hate to say it. It's dumb. Like he, he basically says, I believe there's a purpose, but without a designer. He's like, I don't know if that makes any sense. But that's what I believe because I don't want to believe there's a God. Right. He straight out says that. Yeah. It's like, At least he's honest. Right. You're, say, you're admitting that, it's, that you think it might be Stuyot, but you're going to believe in that instead of just believe that it's there's a designer. too consequential. Why? Why? You know, it's weird. It's weird. Plenty of scientists believed in God and remained living the way that they lived their life before. It's so disturbing to him. Anyway, 
So that's, but that's what he's saying. He's saying the intelligibility of the universe is there for you to learn. It's very Ralbagian sentence structure again. Okay, this is by giving the Torah, the, God, the divine Torah, which is a system, Nimus, right? That leads those who follow it in a complete way to true success. Okay? Mm. Meaning the purpose of the Torah is to lead a person to the actualization of that uh, uh, intellectual uh, ability, potential that they have. That's basically what he's, what he's trying to say. Right? So, um, meaning those forms exist out there, meaning the intelligibility of the world exists out there, but what leads a person to ponder that, to reflect on that? It's the Torah that's going to lead them to, to do that. No, that's, that's, that's what he said. So the, so, Ash, so the beauty of the way the Ra'al Bag lays it out is that, and therefore, you know, now what is the Perush of the, What is the Limud Torah going to be? What is the Perush of Torah going to be? Meaning, when you lay out from the beginning, what is, the, what is existence? What is a, what's the human being's place in existence? What is the ultimate goal of the human being in existence? Is it just to physically survive and, and, and reproduce? Or is no? There's it's actually to actualize the individual potential of the uh, uh, that's metaphysical potential of the person. And how is he going to do that? Why did Hashem not? If Hashem designed the physical so well, what about the uh, what about the part that's the metaphysical? What just leaving out there the intelligibility of the universe, but not leading the person to reflect on it? So what what good is that? Right. So oh, therefore he gave the Torah. So therefore we're going to now have to see the Torah as being the way that God wants mankind. And that's why I'm mentioning mankind before. Also, Adam, Adam, not because Jews are better, but because Adam, we, tr- we have a system that leads us to, to being Adam, but really our system is supposed to be that we then teach the, the, the humanity. So it's not, it's not supposed to be only for us, but we're, the, we're supposed to be the teachers. But the idea is that he's putting it in the framework of basically Hashem, saw to it that nature brings about the perfection, uh, or physical perfection, but, in, but that wouldn't work for intellectual perfection because there's no organic process by which you arrive at that. So therefore, he gave us the Torah to educate us towards the intellectual perfection. Wait, so he sees it as, as for the individual? Or Not necessarily, but meaning, but, I mean, intellectual breakthrough happens in an individual mind. You can participate in that with a group, but it's happening in your mind. It's not ha- you, what's happening in, in Bob's mind is not happening in your mind. It could be the same thing happening in both minds, but it's not happening. It's not the same event because Bob is perceiving something and you're perceiving something. You're perceiving the same thing, but it's not happening in the same mind. So he sees the Torah as, as the way to... to I don't know, to bring to bring about the organization, let's say, of the human mind is that. Am I understanding this correctly? Versus like how to organize a system that represents Hashem in the best way it can. What he's saying is that what gives the what the biggest battle of the Torah, especially the Ralbag, emphasizes it the most. The Rambam and the Mordechim also. The biggest battle of the Torah is against materialism, but not. 
ethical material, not moral materialism, materialism and ethical materialism, even though those are, those are connected, but metaphysical materialism, meaning the belief that the world is just purely physical. There's no, it's chaotic. It, it doesn't have any order, right? So that's why, like I mentioned in one of the Marne Bukhim Shiurim one time, like in Aristotle, he hates this guy Democritus, right? Because he's, he had the theory of atoms. Oh, the worst theory is the theory of atoms. It's like, what do you mean? That's the theory that we have now. No, it's the worst theory. The theory of atoms is an idiot would believe that. And how could you believe the theory of atoms, okay? And like the Rambam talks about also, oh, Democritus and the belief in atoms. It's so dumb. It's, it's like, what do you mean? Why? Why is it dumb? But if you look at what Democritus believed, it's that he just literally believed there's no order. There's no idea of a species, of a principle. Everything you see is just a random bunch of atoms that fell together, okay? So you're a random bunch of atoms that fell together and you happen to be able to speak and I'm a random bunch of atoms that happen to fall together also and happen to generate speech also and that this fell together and didn't uh, yeah. have it. But it's just random. There's no, there's no, it's just bits of material that mm. fall into some kind different of kind of a... Right, different kind of a configuration. I wouldn't even say order because that's too much. You know? He wouldn't say order. Yeah, right? And, and therefore, there's no sense of chokhmah. It's just random interactions of these different particles. That's it. That's all the world is, random interactions of particles. So if that's what they were so upset about in Democritus, it wasn't the idea that, re- that things could be broken You're down into pieces. Right. Mm. It's the idea that, because we know that things are made into pieces, you turn into afar, uh, uh, it's no problem with that. The point is that there's no organizing principle according to him. It's purely random, bouncing around. Uh, like when he tries to explain what the soul is. Oh, you know, the, the, it's the, you know, like when you look in the light and you see in the air, like uh, uh, fuzzy things mm-hmm. in the air, it's like that's, that's the soul actually, when you breathe that in, it's just particles that move you around and things move. It's just like he thinks everything is just random moving around. It's really, it, it is pretty dumb. You know, but the, the point is that, that was the, he was a big thinker. He was just explaining that everything you see around you, it's just physical and physical, because when you study biology, okay, why is it that like, the big conflict in evolution is to try to also to, to take the aspect of science where design seems most obvious, seems, right? Seems most obvious. And to say that it too is just accidental. Not accidental, actually. And Richard Dawkins would be very mad if I said accidental. Not accidental. It's, it's predictable, right? It's, it, there's, there's a principle there, but that it's not really designed a priori, like the way that you think, but it happened and then it served a certain function so it was retained, right? Form follows function, the whole thing in biology, right? Unless biology changed since I was in school. So that's the, uh, that's, that's the idea of evol- evolution is trying to remove the implication of a designer from an area that seems very evidently designed. So, in, in the same way, Democritus would love evolution, maybe, because he would say, yeah, that explains why, you know, these random particles ended up sticking in that random way that they stuck, or whatever. You know, that, that's just what he thought. So they thought that was an idiotic idea, because you're saying there's no concept of a human species. Mm-hmm. There's no concept of a table. It's just different random things that fell together in place. In this case, were put together in place. But there's no concept. There's no mm-hmm. unifying. You can't have a definite. You can't have a dictionary. You can't have a definition of something because there's no definition. It's just ran, random glob of matter number one and random glob of matter number two. 
So a random glob of matter that is a uh, a tarnagol and random glob of matter that is a dog, it's the same thing. It's just yeah. random glob of matter. One goes quack quack is a dog and one goes mm-hmm. rough rough is a dog. But it doesn't really make a difference. That's that's what he really thinks. Mm-hmm. Thought. Right? So that's what bothered them. Because why? Because once you remove the idea that there's any order, so then where's their where's their chokhmah? Where's their where's their where's their forget even about design? Where's their principles? Where's their abstract ideas? Mm-hmm. Right? That's what bothered them about Democritus. So mm-hmm. according to the Ralbag, the biggest fight of the Torah is against a materialistic worldview where everything is really just physical forces and physical particles moving around and there's no deeper substratum of of chuchmah that's reflecting chuchmah taboreh in the universe. Okay? That's why it's, it's definitely true that science, as we know it, really didn't emerge until the idea, until basically the time of the Greeks that had the idea of a creator. Because until that time, some kind of a creator or prime mover or whatever you want to call it, because the idea that there's a unified system, there's some system of, of ideas, principles, laws, however you want to frame it, formulas, presupposes some unified chokhmah out there. How chokhmah can exist without a, a creator? That's the problem of philosophers today to figure out how to justify that. You know, but um, but the but the idea of uh, that's why it's the idea of God is always chukimu mishpatim, right? Both in the universe, right, and also in the also in the realm of human. So the idea of chukim is laws and principles and mishpat. There's order. There's order. The order is how you see God. It's not in the physical. It's in the fact that there exists an order that you see it. So that's what he's saying. The purpose of the Torah is to educate man that there's an order. There's actual chukmah out there. It's not just physicality. Random, you know, gross physicality. Obviously, that has moral and ethical implications also. That means I'm not just a glob of matter either. Who should just take pleasures and live a very base life? <coughs> and, and it also means that to succeed, and here's the real chidush, like what we were talking about before with Daniel and Yosef, the real chidush in that, implication in that, is that, therefore, to live according to chokhmah, I will do better. Right? Then if I don't. Which is the, uh, which is the practical implication of that. The person who lives principled, organized way is systematic about things will always be more successful than the person who's random. Because you're living in accordance with nature. Instead of against. Right? Right. This is exactly what Stephen Covey says in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Says in the beginning. I quote Michelet for Gentiles. Mm-hmm. You know? Really. He says in the beginning. He was religious actually. He was like a Mormon. But he said, there are principles in the universe of how it works. If you live in accordance with these principles, you will succeed. If you try to live against them, you will fail. He's like, I believe personally that God, that this is how God designed it. Right? But he's 100% right. Yeah. So like that, that's really what, what Mishlei, what is Yirat Hashem in Mishlei? It means realizing that there are consequences to your actions and you have to live according, and you have to live intelligently. That's what all the Yirat Hashem in Mishlei is just talking about practical Yirat Hashem. It's not talking about like Yirat Hashem metaphysically. It's saying that the idea that you will succeed in a random approach without thought is a lack of your atashem. You don't realize that there's an actual system. 
<coughs> you think that you with, without thought and without planning and without uh, intelligence you're going to succeed. That's that's lacking a, an awareness of, of reality, a basic awareness of reality, how it works. And that's true for anything, as we know. So, but that's what he's saying, but it's a was for. To make you realize that there's an order. He loves that word too, lo ye'alem. He says it only. <laughs> we won't understand the Torah completely. It will be in, it's infinite, so we can't, we can't fully grasp the wisdom of the Torah. <laughs> Such a weird way of saying I didn't understand what you said. Just like it's impossible for us to understand the universe, the, the wisdom and the design of the universe, Bishlemut. Right? We can't understand what there is and the existence of existences, meaning in the world. Al Mashahim Alav, what they have on them of Khuchman Khanina. We'll only but, understand a little bit of the... What's the function of how he's using the word Khanina? <clears throat> uh, design, I, think, I take it as... You know, he's, it's... It, it's Khanina, it, like from Khen? From or? grace, yeah. He's saying like there's, an, there's a grace and a, 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 a goodness to it. It's not just a, a design, but it's a good design. Meaning it's, mm. it's, that's why I think of it as, as providence, you know, mm. sort of. Yeah, somebody who who is mafliga yun to him means somebody who really studies. Okay, who's mafliga I means they really get into chokmat animtzaot. Chokmat animtzaot veyeda yachas hasidur. He talks in such a fancy philosophy. It means, it basically means, if you understand that the order that you perceive, okay, <coughs> the order that we perceive in the Nimtsaot, in the, in the if you understand the relationship between that and the or and the order and the sidur muskal, the actual intelligible order from which the existence emerged, okay, meaning that there's a that there's a level of a, there's a, a a level that's beyond their ability to grasp. So whatever we're able to re, to uh, reconstruct or to grasp of of the order of the creation. Is just a reflection of a deeper level of uh, of wisdom that we're that's beyond their ability to grasp. But we should realize that what we're seeing only reflects it. It doesn't, you know, what we're able to order in terms of our grasp of the reality is only uh, a, a tiny bit of the the ultimate reality. In a way, it almost sounds like the spherot, you know, the nishtal shel thing, the nishtal shelut, like. The idea that, yeah, what we see is only one of the spherot. We only see one of them, and we don't even see it in the total, really, that there's all these spherot above it that we don't know at all. Right? He's kind of like, 
almost I don't think he had that yeah. idea, but like the concept, meaning that there's a there's a realm of of understanding that's beyond our grasp. Mm-hmm. So we should realize that whatever we are grasping is only a, a little glimmer of the ultimate order that there is in the mind of God, so to speak. Or so what we're grasping is a byproduct of what the real order is. Right, what that real reality, intelligible order is, is as seen by a, a malach, as opposed to us, is what he would put it. Why he has to bring this stuff in, I'll never get. He has to refer you to his, his, his philosophy book. Yeah. Hmm. Right, so that's that's like a mother got Right, so that was a big uh, debate in the. Why do they drop one letter? Oh, in there. Yeah, that. No. It's so annoying. What do you have? Where I can't see. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, why? Yeah, I don't. No, so that's. This is was a big philosophical debate in the times of the uh, Ralbag and before him about what the the intellectual, the limits of, of human intellection, basically. Can you, can the human mind achieve the level of a malach? On the presumption that there's this thing called the sechel apoel that we've probably talked about before in some mm-hmm. connection or other, that is the source of intellectual insight, is a malach, that's the source of intellectual insight. So can you ever be one with it? Can you ever become it, basically? Can you ever achieve a full grasp of the sechel apoel? So the Ralbag says no, and he refers you to Sefer Milchamot Hashem that he wrote, where he lays out why the answer is no. Um, but there was a there were those who differed with him among the Arab philosophers, and he takes issues with issue with them and argues that they they are wrong, um, and uh, and that we can never fully grasp what a malach grasps. Basically, is a simple way of saying it, meaning. An embodied intellect can never know what a disembodied intellect would know. <clears throat> That's a simple way of saying it. As long as we are, because we are an embodied intellect, there's always going to be a limit. Even when a person is no longer embodied, there's still, their sechel wouldn't have been able to become the sechel ha'po'el in their lifetime. It's not possible. Is it because we're, we're <clears throat> we embodied Organisms are not interacting with the the truest form of reality, like he's saying. Meaning, you're you're only you're only interacting with the with the consequences of order, let's say, but not not the truest but, form of order. Well, well I, th- I think there's two problems. I think I think one problem is that the in, the fact that was like what you said, meaning that there's a we're only inferring from the order that we see that there's a higher order, but that higher order itself is beyond. We're only seeing in the physical reality certain principles and laws and inferring from that, oh, there's an intellectual order here. But that intellectual order, what that even means, we don't, we don't know. Um, so there's a level of understanding that we're lacking. And then there's a, another aspect, which is that we have a limit and we can't think all of our thoughts at once. Meaning you can interconnect different ideas, but you can never actually com- like ponder the entirety of what you know at once. You can't do that. 
because you're limited by your brain and your physicality to not be able to do that and not be able to see that. So that is the, um, that's part of the, just the quantitative limit, meaning there's a qualitative limit, you could say, on the intellect, being able to transcend uh, what is given, right. We're right? Both like you qualitatively said. And, and quantitatively, quantitatively we're limited and wow. we, can't, uh, we can't do it all at once. Ralph Bagh talks about that in a few places, that we can't think... That's why he, he wants to say that Vayasef Elamav, what it says about Avram means that he was able to gather finally all of his understanding into one, you know? Um, it's a little bit of a drash on the Pasuk, but... Yeah, because it also says that right. about Yishmael, no? Well, because he wants... He said that he was, you know, he was Jose whatever. <laughs> no, the idea is, is, is still true, that you can't do it, so... Right. So, uh... Yeah, it's a drash on the pasuk. I think it's like a remez, whatever. But right. it's but the idea is 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 true that you you can't do that. And he talks about that a lot. And you know, it's, it's a known thing. It's a known thing. It's not a not a surprise. But it's that those are the two limits of the intellect. Even even like uh, even the Chafetz Chaim talks yeah. about. It says you know the reason why you should learn the whole Torah is because you know in Olam Haba you'll be able to see the full picture. But if you're missing parts of the picture, so then. You, even then you won't be able to say it. Meaning here you work out different areas and this area connects to this one or doesn't connect or whatever, but you have the total picture somewhere in your mind. You just can't pull it up all at once and see the totality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's there. So in Olam Haba, you'll get the... Uh, that's why he was like big into studying Mishnayot because he said, you know, it's like the total... You cover everything that way or whatever. You learn the Rambam also. That's why the Rebbe liked the Rambam. Because mm-hmm. it gives you the total picture. So then you have like some of everything. You're not missing uh, uh, anything. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that but that's what he says. So the so therefore, uh, there. So that was a, the. So since this is a divine Torah, obviously, just like the Nimtzaot, we're not going to understand the full totality of the underlying principles. Same with the Torah, because it's divine. Like everybody knows today that the Torah is divine. Of course, that's right. Which happens to be true. It's like, not only is it something that everybody knows, but it's true. The two things don't go together all the time. <clears throat> everybody wants to do that rocks were gods. Now they, you know, they knew it. So this is the way that the Ralbag thinks that I really love about him. Right? Once you, so we said something about the universe, and then we said something about mankind. And the Torah is going to now just to let you know that because once you say the Torah is a part just like Chuchmata Nimtzaot, it's misuderet from Hashem, meaning it's, a, it's an intelligible order of laws that comes from God. So there's also going to be a gvul that you're not going to be able to pass in terms of your understanding of the depth because there are limits of the human intellect. So you have to accept that. It's not going to be like if I give you an instruction manual how to use a radio, there's only so deep that the instruction manual is going to go, right? But with the Torah, even though it's also a guidance for man, so you might think, oh, so it should all be, like, uh, very simple. Like uh, Confucius sayings or whatever type of thing. But no, it's going to, because it's coming from God, so therefore it's interconnected with his with the Chochmata Nimtzaot and all of the deeper and deeper levels of understanding that reaches that gvul that we, we can't, we can't, Grasp. Does he think that it transcends that goal, or No, he's just saying that there's a level of understanding that is not going to be reached by mankind because it's a part of Chokhmat Hashem. I think it's a part of Chokhmat Hashem is rooted in 
the transcendent. So the transcendent is something we can't actually get to with our minds. We can only see glimmers of it. But is he saying that the, the Torah con- contains transcendent ideas that we just can't access or that it's not it's it's not containing ideas like that because we can't access it. no no he's saying that it, it, yeah okay it's based it points them towards ideas that it, it's that we are we can't really grasp mm-hmm. so you think because it derives from the that are not because it derives from them so it right. derives from those principles so just like you know, it derives from certain fundamental principles of Chokhmat Hashem. So therefore, since we can't access those principles, we're not going to be able to grasp that, that level of, of understanding mm-hmm. Torah. <clears throat> where, we would, where we would see that. But we could see that we can, but it's important to acknowledge that that exists. I mean, right. it's, you know, it's infinite, basically. Mm-hmm. Infinite not meaning some kind of like emotional fuzzy thing of like, oh, the Torah is infinite. But like, mm-hmm. actually it is. Meaning yeah. like... It, it goes into realms that are not finite, meaning they're right. purely transcendent realms uh-huh. that we, we're never going to really be able to... Like even the idea of a malach, the idea of bereshit, and all these things, they, there's a limit. Where, 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 and since everything is interconnected, ultimately you can push so far back that you're going to come to a, a wall where you can't go past it. Like even if you study Shabbat, let's say, and you get to a point where, okay, well, ultimately this derives from the nature of Masad bereshit, or the idea of Shabbat. Like, so how far back can you push that? You're coming into like you said that where okay, where you're coming on to metaphysical ideas that you're not going to be able to to get to, and everything is like that, ultimately. So what's he splitting up right now? So now he's going to talk about since the Torah's design is to achieve this you know perfection for human beings, so it's going to be divided into three big parts. Okay. So so you're saying the first thing is the first part of the Torah that some people think is the only part, mm-hmm. right? That's why he says yeah. that the people think is the only purpose is the mitzvot that include everything we are commanded to believe and do and prevent, told not to believe and not to do. Right? So that's, that's the basic program of the laws of the Torah. The 613 mitzvot is part one. Mm-hmm. Right? Meaning, basically instructions. Mm-hmm. Instructions are step one. You know, because any program that's training you towards uh, some goal, the first thing is to instruct you. Okay, this is how you, you're learning karate. Okay, this is how you punch. This is how you kick. This is how you block. This how you, whatever. Just teaching you what to do. Instructing mm-hmm. you what to do. Training. Right? What's the second thing? Mekif means includes, right? Yeah. Like a kolel. Hamidinit, <laughs> 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 <laugh
A Toriot? Yeah, so he's using like really difficult language here. He's basically saying political, what he means by political wisdom is, is midot, basically. Hmm. He's saying that you have, that, I can't legalize midot. I can't, I can't reduce midot to a law. It's, a, it's, a, it's an internal state of the person, right? Because, because, it's, it's remote to expect, right, that you're going to have in the Hamon Anashi, in most people, perfection in these areas of Midot and character like you can when it comes to Mitzvot. In other words, Mitzvot are laws. You can have legislation. You can't do this on Shabbat. You can do this. You can't eat this. You can't eat this. You have legislation. So per, any person can follow those laws, right? But when it comes to midot and tchunot and character and things like that, that area is a developmental process. It's not an area where you can reduce it to laws. In fact, reducing it to laws and practices would be a mistake because it wouldn't be misunderstanding what it really is. It also wouldn't make sense because it, it would, you would take it meaning that that moral kind of judgment is is it it de- it changes in context right I mean, dependent on the situation yeah so you could give laws in these sort of sort of like in this construct you know what i mean right. like whenever this exists so then we have laws but like moral and ethical thinking is transcendent of context really it's like you take it with you to any context that you are and then you, you interpret, adapt it you, yeah you, you interpret it, it. yeah you it's more, it, and it's also something that a person develops gradually. So there's both of those aspects. One is mm. that it's not like... You think it's you not can't reduce Meaning, it. You can't reduce it to, to rules, like you said, because it's very contextually based. But also, it's something that a person slowly develops. Because, especially in the idea of Midot and the Torah, because especially the way the Rambam explains Midot, that, that Midot are based on knowledge and understanding uh, and... Uh, and how to, what's appropriate to respond and when to respond a certain way and so on, which is a much more of a, uh, a process of learning and, and a process of, uh, of, you know, of development than just a, a set of rules that I could give you. You know, it, does, it doesn't work like that. So, so that's what he says, that therefore it's not legislative. <laughs> Right, so meaning if, if, if the Torah tells you you can only get angry exactly at the right time, under the right circumstances, the right amount, or only be happy and in the right time, the right amount, and so on. Like only to fight, you know, on, in, in, in limited ways. Right? So uh, if that were the case, is that, uh, uh, you know, when should you be brave, right? Everyone's going to feel like uh, they can't be perfect. You can't. It's something where it's a process of learning and from experience and a process of, of uh, gradual maturity. It's like a maturity process more than, uh, than, than rules. That's what he's saying. And so you can't legislate it like that. And the number of examples is also infinite. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Like infinite number of situations. So you can't even, you can't even do it. Maybe a few people will be able to survive under that mm-hmm. standard, right? 
או משהו בזה התואר, הוא בלתי ראוי שתיפול לו מצווה ואזהרה. כי זה יהיה מביא אנשים להקל בקיום של המצוות, כשיראו שאי אפשר להם לקיים הרבה ממצוות התורה. Basically, it will discourage people if you try to make the system too rigid, is what he's saying. You make it so rigid. In the Arab Midot, people will feel that they're always coming up short and they'll give up. They won't keep the rest of the mitzvot either. It's an interesting practical reason for, mm-hmm. for that, right? And therefore, the Torah taught us, Therefore, it teaches us through stories. So we follow them. In other words, it gives you through stories. So you learn yeah. the principles from stories, and then you apply it to your life. As opposed to legislating rules, it gives you a guiding mm-hmm. principle that you mature into with experience and with uh, further reflection. You know, from using those examples to emulate. That's interesting that the ethics are really learned from experience. And like we, through the stories where we learn... We learn through the experience almost of the avot that, that are in the stories. Mm-hmm. Right. What they did, what's, what the ideal is. Basically, mm-hmm. they show yeah. you an ideal or an ideal of bad, meaning yeah. and so the bad guys paradigm. in the thought. Yeah, right, a paradigm, right. And then you, you slowly approximate it in your own life, working on yourself, but it's not so simple. Mm-hmm. And you can't always be on top of it. So you have to accept the gradual nature of the progress. As opposed to an absolute black and white. Yeah, very but, it, but it does accelerate the process because if you were to only have your own life's experience. Oh, right, of course. Right. You need those paradigms, for right. sure. Right, that's why I'm saying it's We don't necessary. live long enough to get that out. Right, so what do you have? You have your system of mitzvot, he's saying, which are your do's and don'ts. And that's, that's structured and black and white and clear shulchan aruch of life, so mm. to speak. And then you have your paradigms of good and evil to emulate. So in that, you're a work in progress in terms of taking those values, let's say, and making them more and more a part of your, internalizing them more and more over a slow process of education and reflection and experience and so on. It takes, so you have these two, um, these two elements work together really because you need the framework of the do's and don'ts to give you a structure. And then within that, and that structure is flexible enough that you have room to grow in the other areas gradually through, you know, as you develop. So the way I... So you see how much that relates to the human nature. He's also showing you that why did God give you the Torah in that way? Because God knows human nature is such that it can't tolerate over-legislation. It needs, human nature is mitpateach in a gradual way. You know, and, a, yeah. and progresses in a gradual way, and therefore can't be pushed to reduce everything to a black and white system of rules. Yeah. It won't work. Would you Would you think about it kind of like the 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 rules, the do's and don'ts, kind of give you like the floor of where you should where with the baseline that we need as a society, but then the the values and the ideas really are meant to transcend that and give you. Not endless, but like more like the ceiling in that in that like analogy, where you're, you, meaning once you have do's and don'ts over here, so then okay, fine. This is what you need to do in the hamonam in order to live together, and then building off of that is where what values could give you. Mm. I'm not sure if it's only that. I think that probably is that like a baseline. 
framework, but the framework also points you towards the growth. Right. Right. So it has that additional element. Yeah, because the, the, I mean, that's the idea of the, the mitzvot are meant to teach you the... They stimulate you to be on the path. Otherwise, uh-huh. it would, right. meaning they're not right. only just like a, a, a net to catch you so that you don't fall, right. even though they do do that. But uh-huh. I think the, the, the beauty of the mitzvot is that they push you forward also. So they, they get you onto that path and they get you asking the right questions yeah. or seeking the further development. So you have that, that mm-hmm. together. You need both, I think. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay, what's the third thing? Let's see. The other Yeah, so he's saying that the third thing is basically ideas about the about creation or about the universe or about reality that we wouldn't be able to arrive at hmm. through our own investigation without great difficulty. He adds that because he's like one of his big things like, sort of against the Rambam is that it's not true that Nivu'ah reveals things that are impossible for us to come to on our own. It's just that it's very hard for us. Right? So, uh, so the Ralbag is saying areas of knowledge of reality that the Torah gives us through its prophetic stories that otherwise we would have great difficulty arriving at or wouldn't be able to, whatever. And, uh, and he says that basically the Gemara has the same thing. The Gemara has the same three parts. It has mitzvot and halacha. It has agadot about stories, you know, stories about midot and uh, good and bad guys in the Gemara have agadot about that. And then the Gemara has like Midrashim and Agadot about, you know, metaphysical ideas, physical metaphysical ideas that are, that are beyond that. So he says like basically all of Torah is dealing with these three areas. Mitzvot, the development of character by setting up paradigms to inspire or to deter us from certain bad choices. And, uh, and uh, knowledge about the... Br- What's the difference? Meaning the first two are within the realm of human existence. This, the last one is is meta. The last one is nimtzaot, is looking at things from an even broader perspective. Like you could say that uh, a mitzvah is to, to not work on Shabbat. Uh, a midah could be to have a good work-life balance or whatever, you know, would be a good midah, to not get addicted to work and be a workaholic. You have an addict, you have a personality, you know, to be able to balance things. Um, that, right. Be like understanding that Really, you're, you're thinking back to creation. Right, you're reflecting upon the creation and what does it ultimately mean and what do the six days represent and what is it? You know, all the deeper, the deeper ideas about the nimtzaot is like the third level. Yeah. They could all be found within Shabbat or anything. You know, you could have uh, kashrut. So, you know, there's the halachot of kashrut. There's the midah of not being addicted to food. Having discipline having when it comes to the inst- instinctual drives. You know, and then there's a question of, you know, 
and that enables the soul to, you know, to be able to function at a higher level. And what is really, what does that really mean? And what is the relationship of body and soul? And how does it work? I mean, like you could get into all kinds of things about the name itself. Like every every area has its its uh, elements that are pointing towards higher questions. How exactly does the soul relate to the body, and what does what is the effect of the body on the soul, and what is the soul? And Right, so he's saying that why do these have to be the three parts of the... So notice that everything he does is in lockstep, basically. This one thing always follows from the previous, right? So what follows from the fact that the system of Torah is a system of perfection of a human being? It must have these three parts. It's not just that it happens to have... These three parts that I just told you that the Torah is divided into, it has to be that way. It can't be a different way. Why? Because these are the, these are the things that, the, that the, uh, a human perfection is comprised of. You know, perfection of character and perfection of knowledge. Perfection of the character and of the mind. That's what, that's what perfection of a person is. Right? So once you, have, once you understand that, so then of course, what would a system of perfection be? Something that guides a person in action, in character, and in mind towards uh, the highest level. It has to be those three things. Right, so he says that uh, the political wisdom or the midot that where there is no mitzvah v'azara is a development. Is holech malach hashlemut is a progress, a process of gradual development. El mashi yaknuah mitzvot v'azarot atoriot mitikun aguf towards that which the mitzvot are teaching you in terms of tikkun aguf, meaning the what's implicit in the mitzvot is developed and internalized from the process of midot. B'tikkun so, aguf. What he means by tikkun aguf is practical things, like I gave the example of Shabbat, or I gave the example of food, meaning not being addicted to food, having balance in your diet, and not allowing food to take over your life, not allowing work to take over your life. Right? That's b'tikkun aguf, meaning that's practically to have a healthy existence it's implicit in the mitzvah of Shabbat or in the mitzvah of Kashrut that eating is not the end of all existence, that work is not the end of all existence because there's a limit. Right? So, but internalizing that is holich malach hashlemut. It's a process. Right? Now, what about, uh, what about, what about the idea, the, the part that teaches you tremendous ideas about reality? Basically, it follows, it, it progresses towards, uh, it progresses on a gradual growth to that which the mitzvot and asarot teach you mitikun anefesh, meaning whatever the Torah is teaching you in Hilchot Shabbat about the nature of the creation and God being boy olam, okay, to recognize that God created the world and that, you know, it's, and so on. The, the ideas of the Torah develop that even further. What's implicit in the mitzvot is being, you know... So you basically have the foundation of the mitzvot, which is what we're talking about, exactly, basically saying what we're talking about before. The mitzvot are the framework, 
they both keep you out of trouble, but also guide you, have certain, are like signposts along the way of what the ultimate ideas are that a person would want to, uh, both moral ideas, meaning for a character, and also philosophical or metaphysical or scientific or whatever you want to call it, ideas of abstract, of the, of the theoretical mind, so let's say, practical and theoretical, and then and, and, and the mitzvot have in them potentia all of these ideas. They reflect all these ideas. But the actualization of understanding those ideas is holech malach hashlemut, he says. It's a process of, uh, of, of unpacking those ideas and internalizing them, which is a lot bigger, of a, that's a lifelong, lifelong process. Right? So then it makes sense because that's human nature. Human nature is that we have certain goals, we have certain basic framework, and we're working on filling it out through our life. Right? Okay. That's what he says. Where are we up to right now? Um, the Enra Oi? Yeah. The Enra מתיקון <laughs> He says there's one area, one difficulty that he just wants to clarify, which is that up until now it would sound like basically the mitzvot deal with a readying of the person to achieve certain final goals, like a readying of the mind to be able to reflect on Masa Bereshit by keeping Shabbat, a readying of the... Of the practical side to be able to become more morally uh, uh, mature. Um, and that's what he calls, like, what the mitzvot give you of tikkun haguf, what the mitzvot give you of tikkun nefesh, right? So he's saying that is, there's certain mitzvot that seem to be mainly about the abstract ideas, not just, like, preparing you for it or implying the existence of it or something like that, but actually being it, like especially when he talks about the Mishkan, mm. you know, where he says this symbolizes certain ideas about the universe and all that, right? Mm. Right? I still hold what I said that uh, that the, there's a, that the uh, third part of the Torah of the Chochmata Nimtzaot is, a, progre- is a, a progression. It's not just in the mitzvah. Because there are certain parts of the Torah that are directly teaching you ideas. That is the whole, it, the content is a nivuah about Maseh Merkava. I don't know, about how God created the universe. It's directly content about ideas. As opposed to Vamitzvot Ayen and Miyashwot Elav Beshenit, the Fishem Chikui Behemshil Sidorim Tzot. Whereas in the Mishkan, it's true that it might reference or symbolize certain ideas, but it's mainly about doing the mitzvah. 
When it gives you the mitzvah, it's not telling you the mitzvah isn't. It also teaches you how to understand mishalim and uh, things like that. But that's not the purpose. The fact that it has an implication about something bigger doesn't mean that the mitzvah is to know that implication. It just happens to contain in it certain implications. The same thing can happen with the midot and the mitzvot. That, yeah, the mitzvah, the mitzvah could point you towards certain ethical principles, certain ethical ideas. The, the Torah could point you in, a, in the building of the mishkan towards certain metaphysical ideas. But the mitzvah is to build the mishkan. It's not to know those ideas. It's not to even think about those ideas. It's just to do the action. Mm. Right? So that's not. So it's secondary to the mitzvah. The main mitzvah is to do the action, and <clears throat> it's true that that action might point towards higher ideas. But that's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah isn't the higher ideas. So he's saying, in the realm of mitzvot, things are black and white. Do the mitzvot sometimes incorporate within them a symbolic hint? Or reference to certain deeper ideas, yes, mm-hmm. but that's it. but understanding that is part of the chelik ashlishi, not part of the chelik rishon, right? So it's not it's saying even like v'tzi pital tam zahab tower. It's like right. your mitzvah is to cover it. It's not to understand what that means. Right, about. What does it mean? Right. That's the next step. Yeah, that's, that's the chelik ashlishi. I think that's the so don't be confused that yes sometimes it's very obvious like especially in the Mishkan where he says like every detail is talking about different yeah. deep ideas he said but that's not the uh, that's not the mitzvah the mitzvah is to do it. the 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 it's still true that um, uh, it's still true that it's a different part you know because you could also say that it teaches you how to understand Mishalim because indirectly it does because you have to whatever you could say all kinds of things you could learn from the mitzvah but that doesn't mean that is the mitzvah the mm. mitzvah in essence is an action mm. or a prohibition but he's not saying that all all of the Torah contains these three elements because there's there's parts of the Torah like for example that are just narrative right meaning like almost pretty much all of Sefer Bereshit is pretty right. much also, there's narrative. a lot of midot stuff in there yeah and that's Chedek Hasheni right. stuff. Chedek stuff. Stories that have that are understandable. He's saying the problem is when you have a mitzvot that also seem to be metaphysical truths. Oh, but the metaphysical truth isn't the mitzvah. The metaphysical truth is, is embedded in the mitzvah for someone to think about. I agree, but why would you have a problem with that? Meaning, why, why would it be, let's just, say, let's just say it wasn't that. Why would it be an issue? Meaning, why would you, why would you be okay with having certain things that are Chedek Hasheni and also incorporating Chedek Hashlishi? Or Rishon or whatever. Yeah, but... He's more, I think because he's trying to say that... He's, he's trying to say that these are three different divisions. You know, so a mitzvah should be... Meaning, content and ideas should be under the heading of content and ideas. And mitzvot should be... If a mitzvah is a training program that just puts you on the path towards this, it shouldn't itself contain the goal. Meaning, it should be moving you along towards the goal, but it shouldn't embody the goal. So the thing is... Because in symbolic areas, it's a very, uh, it's kind of like, you know, like, in, especially the, the, the Kabbalah Ta'ari, 
like the Lurianic Kabbalah mm-hmm. that makes like actions all this symbolic significance and all these minhagim and all these practices and the and tries to read into every mitzvah all of these Kabbalistic allusions and the way that you do it and what you're supposed to say and what your kavanah is supposed to be because they're looking into the action of the mitzvah as uh, a Kabbalist, a, a testimony to certain Kabbalistic ideas. Okay? So he's saying it could be true that, the, that there's ideas embedded in the mitzvah that are very deep. But there's a, the distinction isn't material distinction, meaning it's not a material distinction that there are mitzvot and there are ideas, and they can't overlap. He's trying to show you the distinction is in your orientation. When you're doing the mitzvah, it's an action. When you're learning the deeper meaning of the mitzvah, there it's a progression. It could take you 50 years before you understand what that mitzvah is really representing. And that's okay. You did the mitzvah all along. You never were missing. He's trying to show you not to make a mistake and think that these three divisions are substantive divisions, meaning there's, there's only mitzvot, only midot section, only ideas. No, you could have ideas embedded in the mitzvot also. But when you're relating to it qua mitzvah, that's what you're doing. You're relating to it as a mitzvah. You're not relating to it as a metaphysical study. When you're relating to something as a metaphysical study, you're not relating to it as a mitzvah. Like if you're studying the Mishkan symbolism of the Mishkan, at that moment, you're thinking about the ideas in the substance of the Mishkan. You're not thinking about it as a practical action. It's different. So he's just trying to, I think that's his main point. That the divisions are in your orientation to that area. The area, uh, let's say the Torah tells you to give tzedakah. It, it sometimes says, oh, you have to be sympathetic and have rachamim. If you have rachamim, then Hashem's going to have rachamim on you. All these ideas of like midot and having the midah rachamim. That's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah is give the guy 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the fact that, the Torah, that there's also an overlap between that and having a charitable and generous character doesn't mean that it's not two different things. Even the miserly guy gives the ten dollars. Even the you know, and a guy can be a great philosopher, understanding the importance of midat rachamim, and not give the ten dollars. He's not doing the mitzvah. So like, you have to have a. Uh, it's a different orientation. It's not that the sections are marked off that they don't overlap. Because it sounded like he was saying these are three chalakim in substance. They're separate from each other. They're not separate from each other. They substantively can overlap. It's the orientation of the person that's going to determine which chilek it is at a particular time. Hmm. You know? Then there are some things that I don't think that... Like, if the, if the ox gores somebody's property, I don't think there's a metaphysical idea in, you know, paying tashlumi. Uh, you could really stretch and say there is, obviously. You know, what does it mean to have property? And what does it mean to damage somebody? And this? You could philosophize about it a lot, but... You know, it's more like midot, you know, being sensitive to the property of others and not being inconsiderate and so on. But at the end of the day, in the bed din, they don't care about that. They, they're telling me to pay yeah. the guy the money. How does that play into to kavanah in, the, in mitzvot? Meaning, not like deep Kabbalistic no. kavanot, but like, meaning whenever I put on my tefillin, like, is it just... I happened to wrap this box on my arm and put mm-hmm. it on, but it didn't connect that at all to Hashem. Like, what do you say that that's well? That's still the mitzvah. You, mean, you, you did, did the mitzvah, you but did. you didn't necessarily gain 
all that you could from the mitzvah that you would have if you had reflected on what you were doing and the purpose. And it still has value in the action in and of itself, divorced from the, the deeper thought. Well, that's the whole it. idea of mitzvot suchot kavanah or yes, exactly. so basically, to what extent do you look at it as a legal system and basically... Uh, and, in, and and there's machloket whether we're posek, you know, mitzvot yuchot kavanah or not. There's a machloket. Yeah, there's a machloket throughout the Gemara and then throughout the Rishonim and all the way down to the current day. What what do we hold? But what's the idea of mitzvot in antuchot kavanah, anyways? Which seems to be what the Rambam holds, according to his son at least. That it's in antuchot kavanah, except in certain unique cases. Why? Because you don't want to make the mitzvah too subjective. Meaning, it will lose its status as a, as a legal system. If you make it that that the kavanah of the person is going to determine whether the action was legally valid or not, that's they're trying to say you did the action, therefore yatsata yedechova. That you know, so if, the if the person say yedechova is like right, interesting. Yeah, they, they in a way subject subjectivity in the realm of mitzvot can be problematic. So the question As a is system, yes. the question is does your kavana make it a mitzvah, mitzvah now? That's really what the question is. Is your kavana a part of the, the what does the Torah say? Pick up a lulav. That's it. You picked up the lulav. You did it. Doesn't matter that you uh, weren't thinking about it. You picked it up, right? So the idea is legally speaking. Okay, but Chazak Baruch, you, you did it. So what? Right, it's not... So it's just for the system to say that, oh, we have a system exactly. that's constructed... It's a legal system. Yeah, it's a legal system. Constructed of people that's doing actions. That's the ultimate chilek rishon. Basically, you yeah. just did the action. Right. That's obviously not the idea. It's a chilek rishon divorced from the other right. two. That's mitzvah anashim elomada. That's what they call mitzvah anashim elomada. I thought it was more... I mean, if you think about it in, in the individual terms, it might be because... Doing this action ideally at least puts you in the framework to you're at least in the game. You know what I mean? Right, of course. Like it's good. Meaning, meaning it has individual. It's still a good. It's still a good. But it's a, it's but a, to the individual, not not necessarily to the system. Meaning also to the system, but that's not the because because the fact the, that you're a part of the community. Yeah. You're doing the actions of the community. You're 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 by by doing whatever the mitzvah is, you're also contributing to the perpetuation of that within the community. Yeah. You're an agent of the, you know, the continuity of the mitzvah. Like so, well, that's for you personally. So that's what I'm right. trying to but say. But in terms of... In, in, you're saying it also perpetuates hmm. the system. Okay, fine. So you're in it. So maybe you don't have it, but maybe, but then maybe you're giving your, the opportunity to your kids. Kids to or to other people. Right. You're being mechazek, the institution, even if you are not mm-hmm. doing it. So I think that's, that's a part of it um, that you have to set, you know, you, your, your participation makes a difference in that way. Um, there are certain times where we pers- purposely, you know, there's certain things like, let's say, dvarim what, that they need a minyan, you know, that you do it, you do it communally because the individual is not ra'oi to express kedushat Hashem. Meaning the idea of kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is really fundamentally something that is for the malachim. To say, so you, you can't. Uh, you don't really know know what that means. Kadosh, kadosh, you don't know what the kadosh, kadosh, kadosh means. I don't know what it means. So when you do it communally in a way, you're actually effacing your individuality. That so it's done in a minyan because it's saying something's being articulated that no none of us actually, in the, as individuals, can know. You're talking about the opposite. I'm saying these are two different opposite extremes. Meaning when we do a mitzvah without a uh, without kavanah, so at best we're supporting the legal system and our participation. 
Right? Sometimes the participation in the in the community is necessary from a different angle because there are certain things that you're not allowed to do as an individual because it would imply that you had uh, a grasp of something that you had or had a right to say something that you don't like something about God that really nobody grasps. So therefore, we do it as a community, as if to say, this is something that is beyond any individual's grasp, but we recognize we recognize that you know that exists, you know. So sometimes doing actions that don't in and of themselves, we don't in and of themselves understand is important for two different reasons. One is because practically it keeps you in the game, like you said, and another, other times because it keeps you aware of certain realities that are out there that you can't grasp. Does it though? Does it, meaning what do you mean it keeps you aware of them? As an individual or it Meaning keeps you the recognize aware? that there's such a thing as kadosh, 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 even though you might not know really what that means. Ideally. You know? Right. Ho- hopefully right. you recognize that. Yeah. Realize what you're saying. I'm assuming favorably, you know, down the cup. Yeah. <laughs> Some people don't know what they're saying sometimes in Tefillah, which is sad. You know, they don't know at all. Most of us don't yeah. pay attention. Know anything, I'm saying. They don't even know. Like, I remember talking to people and I'd be like, you know, via hafta means loving God. Like, That's what it means. I, didn't, I never knew that. I'm like, you, this person's been saying their whole life the Shema, they don't know what via hafta means. That's sad. Yeah, it is. I think everyone knows what Shema Yisrael means, but I could be wrong. I don't want to be proven wrong about that, but I could be. <laughs> I'm pretty sure people know what that Shema Yisrael means. Like superficially? No, what, what the words people, mean. What I don't think people mean. think about what that means. I'm just talking about the meaning of the words. That's, that's a... I don't, yeah, I don't know about, I, I don't know how Israelis envision that, but I don't think most, most Americans, I don't think they think they're saying, oh, the Lord is one. The yeah. Lord is our God, the Lord is one, whatever that means. Yeah. You can right. see it's a very, it's interesting, it's a very, the idea of Shema Yisrael is extremely profound, obviously, from on a high level. Yeah. A person is not required to understand it on that level to fulfill the mitzvah. Mm. But that's a really good example of where you have a mitzvah that points to an idea that's very profound. Uh-huh. Even though you're not really ready to understand it. And also invites you to different levels. I Meaning, says, okay, the bidi avad is you had kavana for the first line and you know the meaning of the words. But then you really, it's better to have kavana the whole time. Like, there's different levels built into that. Same with tefillah. You have to have kavana for the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> After that, you know, it's up to you. Your mahalach is, is 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 there. But that's because that's the area of learning and the area of tefillah is different. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more of developmental process in those areas. But Hashem Echad, you see the fact that you say Baruch Shem Kavod after that shows you that it's something very deep because in the Beit HaMikdash, when did they say Baruch Shem Kavod? After they said Yud Kei mm-hmm. After they said like the Shem Havaya and on Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Said Baruch Shem Kavod and everyone fell on the ground. Like you say it after you say Shema Yisrael as if to say like this is an idea that's... So profound. Right, so profound. It's like I have to whisper Baruch Shem Kavod. Like how could I even, how could I even say? Yeah. I'm not worthy to say it. And that's why it says, like, Yaakov Avinu said to his sons, yeah. when, they, when he said, are you with me in Yichud Hashem? And they said, Shema Yisrael, he said, Baruch Hashem Kibod, meaning, like, it, it was almost like he couldn't believe that, he, that they all were, had the idea. Meaning it's, it's amazing that they had the idea because it's such a deep idea. What, what's the big deal? They said Hashem is one. That's a big deal. Every Jewish person, they said Hashem is one. Not every, but, you know. Ask a random Jew, how many gods are there? One. Wow. What's, what's, the, what's such a surprise? But because it means that it's a deep, it's deep. The idea yeah. is deep. That's why he couldn't believe that he succeeded in all 12 of the sons that said, that they said, Shabbat. 
you know that's it's it's a very hard idea to sustain that's why you have crazy rabbis saying no god needs us god is this he's in you he's part of you because it's a, the actual idea of yichud hashem is very hard the actual real idea very hard the chasidut like I know people that have like fallen off of uh, being rationalists and former rationalists who became like basically into Hasidut and they think, oh, the Rambam's idea of God is so dry, it's so abstract, it's so lacking passion. I'm like, based on what, you know? Did you ever meet like anybody who believes in the Rambam's idea? How, how do you know that it's lacking passion? For you, it's been dry, you know? Like they, they have a bolt because it's too distant yeah. and they, they can't handle it. They need a warm and fuzzy God. Yeah. The idea of transcendence is is a, a little bit hard, hard to grasp. Hard. Yeah, and I I can appreciate that. It's hard to connect to something that's purely transcendent. Right. I don't even know what connecting means. I don't know what. I don't right. Really, I don't know what a relationship with God means. I don't know what connecting means. Do I feel a very meaningful and uh, 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 inspiring like religious life? Yes. Do I feel like emotionally lacking in my religious life? No. Do I feel like, do I have like a fully emotionally engaged religious life? Yes. So like, obviously I'm not missing something from believing that God is not my, an old man with a beard in the sky. Or whatever they, you know, they don't go that far. Yeah, they don't but, go that uh, far. But mostly. But they have nonsensical ideas that are, that are made just like Dor Enosh to make God more palatable to the... Like uh, God is in the leaves. God is in, in you. We say, and then they have, which... And then they have, you know, God is close to you. He's your father. He's your this. Fine, we say Avinu Shabbat yeah. but whatever. That's, that's a different idea. That means creator. But mm-hmm. it's like they, they have an idea that, that, that is that very means- sentimental about God. And he has to be a sentimental father. I'm like, to me, it's like anybody who you, you, you're looking at a, un- a vast universe that's like, so far beyond our comprehension, but somehow you think that you can explain God as a, like a daddy in the sky kind of, kind of concept of that. It's, to me, I don't understand. I feel like and the more, it, like the Rambam says in one place in the Moran uh he says like a person who really understands, the more you understand of science, the more you realize these things can't be literal. And you're like, that's it. It's not possible for it to be that God is a daddy in the sky. Impossible. You know, so it's like, but does that make me feel anything lacking? No, the contrary, not at all. So I don't know what they're looking for. Maybe they're missing something and they, they, they need to fill. You know, mm. they need to fill a certain kind of void. Yeah, it's, uh, this is, this is the, the problem with the song, Hashem is here, Hashem is there. I don't know how you, how you feel yeah. about that. But. Yeah. They mean Hashkachat Hashem is here. I hope. Shekhinah, Shekhinah. Yeah. I assume that is what they mean anyway. They don't actually I, think I Hashem is here. And where. I think that that's uh, the intent of it. But uh, yeah, it can I, give I you the wrong idea. And then, of course, kids always ask. And the question always is, what do you tell kids who don't have the abstract ability to think? You know, right. Where is Hashem? Yeah. I always say, nobody ever saw him. When they're little, that's what I would tell them. Nobody's ever seen him. So where is he? Yeah, he's, he's not in the world. We, nobody's ever seen him. And, the, and that's what I will tell them. And as they get older, obviously, they understand. It's not obvious. Maybe for your kids. No, no, so hopefully. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
No, it's hard. It's hard to the concept is hard to grasp. Yeah, but I think that's why there there's like the tendency towards like panentheism is because of, I remember something Rabbi Chait said once. He said a a Christian asked him, you know, Jews they don't talk about God a lot. You know, we're always like the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It's like but Jews, you know, they don't they don't talk a lot about God. They 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 might say Baruch Hashem or whatever, but they don't talk about God a lot. Like why is that? He's like because we don't know a lot about him. <laughs> have much to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very, very... He's like, your God looks like you. It's a man on a cross. So, you know, you talk about... It's a person. So, there's a lot... He has a biography. He had a mom, dad, you know. So our God is, is beyond. is mysterious. But, uh, but that's, that's why it's real. It's one of the truest things. Yeah. That's one of the big things of the Rambam. The less you say, the yeah. the further you will be from error, basically, yeah. not the closer to truth. Yeah. The further you will be from saying something wrong. Yeah. yeah. That's just, that's the way it is. But, you know, on the other hand, you have the idea of, you know, be, having an awareness of God is important because you can become disconnected. Meaning the fact that Chazal... Awareness of God's existence. Meaning, yeah, yeah, meaning Chazal were metakin, all these bachot, and the fact that we have tefillah and all these things is to keep the reality of God's existence in your mind. Because you could easily say, well, God's so transcendent that it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. And you don't want to get to that point. Yeah. So you have to balance the two. And that's what the Torah is. It's a balance of the two. It's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Without descending into idolatry, how do you create a system that will bring people to recognize a transcendent God? Without compromising in idolatry. You know? Mm-hmm. It's not a simple thing. Yeah. The Torah is the only system that achieves it, and even that is this, the results are not perfect. Meaning, of the adherence of it. Why do you think it's not perfect? Why do you? Why do you think? It, I, I agree with you that it's not. Uh, why do you think? It's that, mainly the teacher's fault. Yeah, I don't think it's the people. I, 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 I don't think it's the system's fault. It's you don't think teachers. it's the Torah in essence fault? It's Definitely the, not. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that, if anybody just true. opened up Targum Unculus, you would see that God is transcendent. But nobody. But you, if you try to argue that, like this is one guy that I, I like him. He's a nice guy. But this is the person that I was referring to before, who like became basically more mystical and Hasid, Hasidic oriented, Hasidur oriented, after having been a rationalist. And he's the one who's like, oh, rationalists are this, and rationalists are that, and they're this way and that way. He has like a whole preconceived notion about rationalists. And one of the things that is like, you know, God, it bothers him to say that God doesn't have feelings. He doesn't have this and that. And, and so I'm like, you know, I said, well, you know, and, and, you know, the Rambam brought all this. I'm like, not the Rambam. Unkulus has yeah. all of the same thing. The Geonim had yeah. all the same thing. Unkulus had all the same thing. And it's not, and it's like, well, that's Unkulus. But Unkulus was the, the official translation that yeah. Chazal approved and instituted to be read in every synagogue. Yeah. Obviously, they thought that was the Pirush that they wanted the people to hear. You know? He was bringing their right. Perush. Right. Not... He was bringing the tradition. He yeah. wasn't making it up. Yeah. And why would Chazal institute that? You must read the Pasuk of Unkelos after everything. Why would they do that if they didn't believe in that? It wasn't just one guy that he yeah. came up with that. Josephus also said, Rabbi, Rabbi Ben Chaim showed me, I remember. He showed what, us. What did Josephus say? Josephus was like, Jews believe God is invisible and not physical. And, uh, and that was, you know, in the second Beit HaMikdash times. It was already known. Like, that's what Jews believe, that God is not physical. That's our tradition. We don't believe in that God has a body. It's not like something the Rambam made up. It's uh, eight hundred years before the Rambam. You think anybody 
disagree, today disagrees with that. Like, a lot that of people say that I think the, people are a more, lot of people say that the Rambam brought all the stuff about God not being physical, God not having emotions, God not being human like, and not having a you know personality like a person. And the Rambam pushed that, and really you have to relate to God, the personality of God, and and you know all that weird stuff. Yeah. Anthropomorphism. Yeah, but it doesn't take they, they, on a gross form of a body of God. Right. I think they're they're more Although, intrigued by I was emotion. Once talking to, right. I was once talking to a guy who was in a very well known, very well respected yeshiva in New York. And I was like talking to him, and I'm like, yeah, you know, well, you know, God is is not physical, whatever. I just mentioned it as a like in passing, as, as if we agree. I was like, hey, you know, because you know, because God is not physical. So it's like, what, what do you mean? What just yeah. I'm like, you know, one of the thirteen principles is again. It's like, what do you mean he's not? Physical? It says in the Torah that Moshe saw Hashem's back. Stop. This guy was twenty years old, learning in like I don't even want to say the yeshiva shelo lashmitz. Like, because I don't think most people from that yeshiva would think that way, but just the fact that, like, a, an avrech, basically, or whatever he was, like, a, he wasn't it's a kid. A, yeah, he was in the yeshiva gdola, not a, not yeshiva katana. Yeah. And he, he said that. I was like, oh, my Lord. I was shocked. I was shocked. But, you know, I'm sure that's not typical, but still. Yeah. Look, none of the gedolim ever thought that. I mean, you, you know, even... Uh, even later, you know, the Chafetz Chaim or something like that, the Rav Moshe, none of these people would ever think anything like that. Yeah. Uh, even Rav, I remember Rav, uh, even uh, Rabbi Salavechik, they said that he didn't say, um, uh, He said, Umoshav sounds uh, too, um, yeah, well, too physical. Who said that? The Rabbi Salavechik, he took. They had a different version of Aleno without Umoshav something wow. else. I mean, I understand. Why yeah, because it's, do it's dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's da- any kind of description is dangerous. Yeah. So it's crazy that the Torah even does it. I mean, why do you think the Torah has to, doesn't to have a choice? Why? Because the it has to speak lashon bnei adam. Otherwise, it just becomes some abstract philosophy text that nobody's going to relate to it. It has to speak in a language that people understand. But and that's why you have to have targum. Meaning. The Torah was never intended, not even for one second, to exist without Torah Shabbat. Like, even the Chazal say, oh, obviously there's, it's Guzma, but like, uh, Targum Unculus was given at Sinai. Like, why did they say that? Not to say Shtuyot that it was given at Sinai, you know, but saying that the explanation was always intended right. to accompany the text. So that a child might read V'chara Af Hashem, and for the child, okay, they're not... The idea of an, something that doesn't have emotion or a personality or this, it means they don't exist to a child. It means non-existent, right? Meaning not having a body to a child means they don't exist. So in the beginning, you can't, never says God has a body, but the point is that leaves that discussion for Torah Shabbat because a child that you tell them God doesn't have a body, oh, there's no God to me. Because they only know bodily things till they're older. So you, it has to be gradual to understand that. And the truth is that so many things, we also assume things about hashgacha, let's say. Oh, obviously this is the way hashgacha works. It's not the way it works. Yeah? Or this is the way that God's knowledge works. It's not the way it works either. You know, we, we make all kinds of assumptions ourselves that have to be corrected and corrected and revised over time. 
the gross idea that God is a physical in some way seems to us to be so absurd and so denigrating and horrible that we, you know, we worry about that. But how, what about all the other many, many? It says Vaidabir Hashem Hashem. Well, it's also physical. It's also not what Nivua is that Hashem speaks. Yeah. You know, so it has to be formulated in a way that for the av- the, the genius, the genius of the Torah is that it's written in a way that is, you know, what is it? Uh, What's the pasuk? Achati bera lokim shteim zushamano. I forget the pasuk. You know, God spoke in one way, but I heard it in two ways. Meaning, like, the idea is that a person that for the when when the Rambam hears the same pasuk that you do, he hears a totally different thing. Right. That's a, and and that's how it works. But but all the different pasuk versions of receiving have to be true. No? Right. Well, let's say for example when we talked about the. Gan Eden story and different way you can read it in three yeah. different ways and they all actually have right. the same idea right they all actually have the same idea just yes. that one is more palatable to the average person that it really happened and that it is where there was a snake there whatever it was a necessary step in the development of mankind then the one that says that the snake wasn't real but it was internal okay some people can accept that and then finally the idea that it didn't really happen is just a reflection of human nature only a person is really prepared to, to for higher levels. Mm-hmm. You tell that to a kid, they'll be like, oh, the whole Torah is made yeah. up and the stories are not real. Yeah. This is something that I've been realizing is that you people, can't people cannot understand metaphorical truth. Right. It's, like, it's the really, worst question is, is this Midrash true? Yeah. What do you mean true? Yeah. Uh, this is something is, that I've, is, I've is, grown is, the, is the mighty hand of God true? Because, it, yes, it's true, but it doesn't mean that he has a hand. Yeah. Right, so yeah, so the, like the idea of truth is very, truth very difficult for right. people truth to. Truth versus to, literal is not the same. Right, thing. right. <laughs> the the question is how far can you? That's pull why that? we say literal truth. Versus yeah, literal. yeah. A midrash has a true idea in it. Just like, uh, like I always use this example. I this is my classic example from our last trip when we were here last time. Three years ago. Now, now it's almost three years ago. And it, that. Uh, the, the you know the boy who cried wolf example and you know don't focus on the wolf remember that yeah yeah, one yeah. Of the, right so like that's exactly the point the is is the boy who cried wolf true <laughs> is it true yeah. it has a true idea hundred yeah. percent the idea of it is true did it actually right, happen exactly. probably not you know. you know is it actually literally true that the boy did that no somebody made that up yeah. is it true yes not, the the, <laughs> the the problem is it doesn't matter. I mean, that's the, right, that's the, the truth right, is it that it doesn't matter. Right, it doesn't matter. It's not of concern to us. Right, but to a person yeah. who is in the material... Yeah, then, it's, then that's all that that's matters. That's all that matters, yeah. which is why they become fundamentalists. Yeah. Fundamentalists. Yeah. It has to be literal, and it has to be this, because they cannot... Because to them, an idea is not real. Yeah. But a, but, but but, a, but, but a, a word is. An idea is not real... Only a physical event is real. Yeah, not not even a, a word. A physical event. That's exactly. Described that's, in a word. That's yeah. Described in a word. Right. And this is fundamental. It's not the word. It's the physical event. This is what what right. you realize. Right. Is that people are not attached to the to the text. The Torah is a textual. It's a textual vehicle, right? right. It's a vehicle through language. Right. Through right. Not not necessarily through physicality. So. People have a very. This is, by the way, this is exactly what the Ralbag means when he says, going back to the Ralbag, right? When he says, tsurot, the idea of tsurah, that there's an abstract form that's real. There's abstract ideas that are real. Mm -hmm. When you actually study science, you realize 
the laws are actually more real than the physical. Mm-hmm. Meaning, because the laws are permanent and the physical is always changing and fluctuating, right. right? But the actual laws that are embedded, those are actually more real in the sense of being permanent and absolute. Mm-hmm. And it, from our perspective, nothing's absolute, obviously, ultimately. But Whereas to a, to a Hamon Am person, no, the real is the physical thing. Right. What's real is the physical, physical thing. Do you think that it's worthwhile to combat that or just to operate within that and try and steer it in the best possible direction. That's exactly what we were talking about, about Paro, the education of Paro and Nebuchadnezzar versus the education of, uh, that Avram Avinu was giving to uh, Malki Tzedek. Like exactly He's the steering point. steering it, not, right. not trying you to steer. Shift. So you start out within the framework. Always you start out within the framework. You know, and then you slowly, if you have a relationship with the person, you can slowly move them along to a higher understanding. But like, you, you have to be very careful because there could be a moment where it can backfire. If you push too fast, it can backfire. That's what happened to like Akhir or something like that. Right. <clears throat> he went too fast, too far too fast, and he was not successful. The, the question is, is there a time to be the Moshe versus the Yosef? And is there a time to completely shift the paradigm? And... You, you have to know that in an individual case, I think, uh-huh. right? You, it's the same as when you're, you know, any type of personal help you're giving somebody. Let's say you're helping someone. They ask you advice. So there are times when you give them advice within their parameters of what they want and what they think is right. But sometimes you might say to them, you're, what you want is not actually yeah. good. What you want is wrong. Right. Or what you're, the way you're approaching this is wrong. When do you do that? You have to know the person. Right? And it's risky. Because they might reject you as yeah, an they advisor. Have to be to accept that. They might reject you as an advisor. Yeah. Uh, if you... Um, if you push too hard. Uh-huh. So you, you, it's the same thing. Or therapy, it happens all the time. A therapist will be like, you know, to a certain extent, they accept your premises, but sometimes they'll be like, okay, this is wrong. Yeah. You have to go here. You can't do this. And then all of a sudden, you're, you, you, don't, you don't know how it's going to go. You have to have a, you have to have a relationship. So it's, I think that's, that's really personally based. But that's, that's the analogy to it. It's like an advice analogy. Same thing as Yosef and Daniel. They're basically advisors to the king. When do you push to question the tenets that are underlying the relationship? And say, I've shown you how the wisdom of God can benefit you, given the premises of all the, whatever premise or premises are underlying your your system and your your assumptions about life. But what if I told you that your assumptions about life are fundamentally wrong? That's much more... uh, Scary. Yeah, it's dangerous. Risky, risky. Yeah, risky is right. Yeah, it's risky. You don't know what will happen. Sometimes that causes... uh, the person to go off the derrick yeah. and then you lose them yeah. because you pushed them too fast. Yeah. Like there are things in the, uh, things in Mornebuchim or things in, in Jewish, Jewish ideas that I would have been, I think I became a little bit too uh, lenient in my later years. I think in my earlier years I was much more guarded about what, what I would tell them. You know, I became less. Part of my reason for that wasn't just because I became like a softie, but because I felt like it was it la sol basically. Mm-hmm. Like, because the, the wrong idea is, has become shown to be more and more wrong that it's causing people to discredit Judaism. It would be better to show them an idea that right. maybe would be considered more controversial, but is actually the true idea. To create room to for create that. Room. Yeah, but also to prevent people from thinking, I have to either choose that I choose being a rational person who recognizes science or believing in the literal reading of the Torah. Right. And you're like, well, that's not the only choice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I completely understand. You know, so, that. so, so if you, you might have kept that idea closer to, I don't think that idea is so controversial actually compared to many other ones, but like if you kept I think the, the, like how Hashgacha works or how all these things, when you're in a society that's sophisticated in the sense that they have intellectual tools, but they're using them against it, they're, they're attacking the, the simplistic understanding of the Torah, and you can say, hey, that's not the only understanding there is. There's, here's an alternative. I feel like you have an obligation to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. You know? Like, even though the Rambam was very hesitant to, let's say, write the explanations of Midrashim. Yeah. But I wonder what he would think today. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's accessible, where everyone can open yeah. up the Midrash. It's not like if he doesn't tell yeah. you about it, you're not yeah, going to see exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. And then you're going to be like, oh my God, this religion is full of like tall tales and right. nonsense. It makes sense because the, the reason, I, I would think, the reason why the Rambam would not like an explanation to the Midrash is because it defeats the purpose of the Midrash. Well, that's what I mean, he said. He said, I would, either, I would just have to end up writing another parable to, on the parable instead of Yeah, like, yeah, because that whole idea is to, keep it for, you to, to for, for you, you to, to do the work. Yeah. Right. For you to that's come to the it or you don't know it. it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's the exercise. The exercise is for your brain to develop the idea. I mean, it gives you if you're ready for it. Yeah, exactly. To be able to be ready. It gives you it gives you the the I don't know like maybe the the frame. Yeah. And then it's like okay, figure it out. Yeah, it's like your but we're not ready for it's like that. A riddle. Yeah. You know, you have to be on the level to be able to handle it. Yeah. And uh, the problem is that the he he considered. I'm not saying this is the problem, but the, he considered it better for a person to be a literalist simpleton, but accept the authority of the. Torah than to be an intellectual skeptic who rejected the authority of the Torah because the Midrashim sound crazy. Meaning, he didn't go to, he, he basically said, I just want you to know that Midrash is not literal and Agadah is not literal and it has to be understood on a deeper level, but he didn't go and explain all of the Midrashim and Agadot. He did not do that. The Ral Bag also said he was going to write a book like that. They both said they were going to do that. The Ral Bag said he was going to do that. I would have loved to see it. Apparently, the Ralph Bag wrote a pirush on the on the on the agadot of brachot, but it was lost. I would love to see that. That would be amazing. Wow. That would be amazing. But we don't have it. Just like we don't have most of the Rambam's son's book, I must speak yeah. It's like mostly missing. It's like, yeah, it's how crazy. could you lose a book like that? Like we have three chapters of. Ten. No, no, we have we have a lot of it. Really? We have a lot thought, of it. I thought it was. Of the Hamas speak of the Asian? No, we have a lot of it. I thought it was like we're one, missing. Nine, ten or like we're that. missing more than we have. I, but we don't. But we have. It's a book cha- this big. Yeah, but I, there's I, sections. There's I thought like there was, section there was ten chapters of there. Like most of it, apparently. Yeah, most missing. of it is missing because he always refers to. Oh, as I ex- explained in the first chapter, who lost half a book? You know, they lost more than half of it. Yeah. I really hope they find it one day because that would be it. Because I must speak is a great book. Yeah, uh, it, would, it would. It would. It's a. It's a great book. We should learn it one time, honestly. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's just uh, but we're mis- you're reading a book that you're missing out, but it's yeah. so weird. I mean, it stands alone, but still, it makes you want to know what was in it because yeah. he'll refer to oh, as I explain this, and he'll give a little bit of like what the explanation was, but like you want to hear yeah. the whole explanation. Yeah, uh-huh. it's 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 painful. All right, that would be amazing if it were found one day. I hope it is. Yeah, could be with all these you know. Occasionally, they find these random things. Who knows? I hope so. You would think Hashem would. Uh, Keep it, you know. Maybe, maybe you're a Sashka Chaprati, we'll find it. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be something. <coughs> okay. But the Meiri, you know, was like a later uh, find. It was like, uh, the whole Meiri was like in the Vatican or whatever. They, hmm. they didn't have it for a long time, and that's why 
a lot of the poskim were like, oh, we can't rule based on the Meiri because it wasn't known for so many centuries, so it wasn't like the Gedoylem, they didn't have mm-hmm. it. And <clears throat> so we don't know if we can really rely on it because we didn't, it wasn't a part of the canon for so right. long, even though we knew it existed, whatever. Mm-hmm. Even though the Meiri is also really great, especially in the Agadot and stuff, or the philosophical interpretation of the Agadot is very good. Okay. Most people think that all the Agadot and everything else in the Gemara besides the Halakha is, is not really necessary. It's like... Uh, Father, it's filler. Mm. Finally, we're getting good. it's not something that one of the one of the scholars will be able to achieve to understand it in totality. Aval nivtach bigzerat Hashem or bigzerat atzur. Let's say that bigzerat atzur. Yeah, bigzerat atzur. She yalu biyadenu harchava. No. So he, he's very, being very modest. He's saying, uh, I'm sure I came up with a lot. First, he is actually being modest because he says, I'm not going to understand all of it, but I'm going to understand some of it. As anybody who sees the, uh, anybody who studies my words will be able to see mm. that I came up with a lot of uh, good stuff. Right? So, but the point is that he's very systematic. He's like, look, this is what the Torah is about. These three things. And don't make a mistake and think that the fact that the Talmud has the same three topics is an accident. And don't think that it's only about halakha. The Midrashim, the Agadot, all that stuff in the Gemara is also important. Right? Because it's part of this three-pronged mm-hmm. Shlemut track. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going deb- to explain the Torah, and obviously I'm going to explain it in accordance with the same System. System of identifying these kinds of principles. Mitzvah principles, mitot principles, and philosophy principles. They're saying anything that has to do with philosophical ideas 
I'm just going to put it as a principle that whatever is explained in scientific and philosophical works is a, is, is a premise. I don't want to go into each thing because it'll take me, it'll, it'll take too long. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Ibn Ezra who sometimes does go off on like a long philosophical thing. He's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to assume you're educated. That's it. <laughs> Right, so the chokhmot ha'inyoniot means like science and philosophy, basically. Uh, you better know that first, because I'm just going to refer to, oh, as is known in physics, as is known in this. And I'm just going to assume that you are aware of that. It would be like today writing and being like, I expect you to be college educated. I'm not going to explain yeah. to you what is uh, physics. I'm not going to explain yeah. to you what is. V'lezot hasibah Ben, <laughs> Even though they're very good, yeah. but they're not really an explanation of the psukim. Mm-hmm. Like you said, last, we were talking about last night. Uh, Rashi bringing the Midrashi. Mm-hmm. I think it's Nechaven. Oh, it's like yeah, He's saying, if I bring all these drashot also, in addition to explaining the simple meaning, then uh, it's going to be so long that anybody who reads is going to be like tired of it already, uh, too long. Mm-hmm. By the way, he was like a huge Talmudist also, but he was like, Known in his time, but he didn't leave like any writings mm. of like halacha. But he was like a huge, like he. There's some shelot that were sent to him and stuff like. That. He was like also. He wasn't just a, like the Ibn Ezra, like just a Tanakh person. He was actually like a big uh, Talmud person and halacha person also, mm. and a scientist. But he was like actually a an astronomer. If you read his biography, it's like un- unbelievable. He was like an astronomer, and. Well, he was like in every area of scholarship in his day, wow. like a premier person. He even invented like an astron like an astronomical instrument that, for viewing the heavens and for measuring like uh, this the distance between different heavenly bodies and stuff like that. He was like a really like a scholar and in, in in secular matters too. Wow. He was a big guy. <laughs> Okay, so this is an important principle of the Ralbag. It's, it's important to understand it. It's not so shayach for the stories. It's more for the mitzvot area. 
But it's a, it's an idea that we talked about in other shiurim in the past. So you, you, we might have come across this idea before, but basically the idea is like this: that there's the yud gimel midot shatoan nidrashet ben, right? That let's say the yud let's say kalvachomer, whatever the different yud gimel midot of the that the chachamim used reach certain conclusions. Right? Once the conclusion is reached, that's what the halacha is, right? What the Ralbag is saying, let's say, for example, we determine that the word le'echol includes hana'ah. I'm giving an example, right? So it's a machloket in the Gemara, in, you know, in a couple of places, mainly in Masachet Pesachim, whether hana'ah, and whether whenever the Torah says not to eat, it includes hana'ah unless you're told mm-hmm. otherwise, or no, achila. Uh, no, no. I'm talking about in, uh, like, Isurei Achila. Like, let's say, for example, it says, don't eat Nivela. Does that include... Would that normally include not benefiting oh, unless okay, yeah, the Torah exactly. tells me that I'm allowed to? Mm-hmm. Or no, the assumption is it only means eating unless it tells you not to benefit. That's a... That's right, a right, right, right. right? So, so let's say so we like determine that Hana'a yeah. is included. Right? So now, whenever I read Achila, I'll say... Achila is just an example of benefit, right? I don't need to say, how do I know this? Oh, because this pasuk over here, and Xerah Shava, and then Akal Bechomer, and this. So he's saying, even though the Gemara might have come to a conclusion of deriving a certain halachic conclusion, using the Yud Midot, going back and forth, Kal Bechomer, Xerah Shava, Tzad HaShavah all of these other things, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they decided Achila is just a form of Hana'a, and anytime it says Achila, it means Hana'a, unless stated otherwise, let's say. So now when I see the word Achila, I'm going to say it means a species of Hana'a. Meaning, I'm just going to say that I derived that from the word itself. I'm not going to explain how I got to determine that that's the meaning of the word. That's not important. That was just a technique. What does that have to do with the Yud Gimomidot? Because let's say the rabbis go back and forth trying to prove, is Achila Hana'a unless proven otherwise, unless it, unless it gives an exception? Or is Achila, uh, is Achila just means eating unless it adds a prohibition of Hana'a? Right, so they'll go back and forth arguing, well, what about this pasuk? What about this pasuk? They'll prove, they'll try to prove their side of the argument using the different Yogyal Midot of Shatoani Dershadman. Like, oh, there's a Kalbachomer here, there's a Xerashava between these two words, there's this. Whatever they use to prove their position is not of, the, of interest to a per- person who's reading the Chumash. Once you're reading the Chumash, whatever the Chazal concluded is the meaning of the word, that's what I'm going to explain it as. I'm not going to tell you how they came up that that was the meaning and not another meaning. Right? Literally, perush is like to lafrish, to separate, meaning there's other possible meanings and you're separating out the ones that are wrong. Right? So, once I, once I have already what the Torah Shabbat has decided is the meaning of the term, I don't need to always revisit how they get to that that's the meaning um, and not the other one. I'm not going to go through that. I'm just going to tell you this is the meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, and I'll explain in the organic context of the text why that makes sense, rather than go and try to show you how the rabbis using the technical stuff. Meaning, whenever the rabbis have a machloket in the Gemara, they have two different ideas, or more than two, right? Different ideas of what the mitzvah, what the halacha, what the word means, whatever. They use the Yud Gimel Midot to prove their... They know that both possibilities are valid, let's say, but they have to prove which one is going to be authoritative. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between valid yeah. and authoritative. Whoever wins the argument 
Now the pasuk gets to be read according to the, that opinion. So you're saying, I'm going to give you the authority. I'm going to give you the bottom line, but I'm not going to say how it came from Yud Gimel Midot, that they learned a Gzirah Shabbat between this and this, and they learned a Kalb mm-hmm. It's not necessary. I'm just going to tell you what the, this means. And once we came to a conclusion, we can read it in the context as if that's what it means. That's it. Uh-huh. No, that's, that's what he's trying to say. Okay, so go ahead. Mm-hmm. so what are they saying? That even when they used Meaning they used it as like an asmachta, these different ways of learning things out, but not that they actually thought that was the basis. Now that wouldn't be where there's a machloket. He's saying where there isn't a machloket, meaning, and they're just showing, oh, pre-etzadar, how do I know pre-etzadar means etrog? Oh, because it's, uh, uh, this, you know, they'll give you some kind of a pre-shetam periove etzoshever, whatever, mm-hmm. some kind of thing like that. He's like, that's not really the reason. It's just that was the Torah Shavuot, but that's what it's like. You know, meaning like, they, they give us machto to try to learn mm-hmm. out what the, what the thing is, but it doesn't really mean that they thought it came from there. Right. right. This is you're building backwards. It's like once you know that this is a conclusion, then all right. Then what, try to prove yeah, it. Yeah, from, to oh, prove well, it. here's another reason. Like the Gemara in, uh, <clears throat> the Gemara in Bavakama that goes through a hundred reasons why you know that Ayin Tachadayin is money. You know, it's like, how many reasons do you need? But they had like, you know, in HaKhovel, HaKhovel, yeah. a whole bunch of different reasons. Oh, because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. In the end, it's just because it was to Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. I like that. The soul is more satisfied when the mean when the explanation emerges from the text itself and not from some, you know, convoluted uh, sort of an asmachta. When you can show that it's an organic reading of the text, it's much more satisfying. He's saying that the that the authoritative translation is also more organic. He's saying that it, it, it will also fit better with the with the simple read, with the organic reading of the he's text. He's assuming, meaning he's not talking about where there's a machloket like I was mentioning before. He's more talking about where there isn't one, but they used like, oh, there's a Xerah Shabbat of the this word here and there, and therefore this that means that this din applies also over here because of a certain Xerah Shabbat. Saying they didn't really need the Gzirah Shabbat. They knew that the din already applied in both mm-hmm. cases. They were just using the Gzirah Shabbat to, you know, to, to show you a source. But really, really, they didn't think that was the actual source. The real source is what the meaning of the word is. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, why would I re- reference the Gzirah Shabbat? He's like, anyway, you can use the Gzirah Shabbat to destroy the Torah. Say, so, oh, it says this here and this here, and I'll just make up, you know, all kinds of different Hekeshim and all kinds of different Gzirah Shabbat that will substantiate any kind of argument. So it's like, it's really the argument is, really the svara is substantive. It's, it's, it's a reading of the, of the psukim 
that is deep. It's just that they, they use these asmachto to try to justify it. But it's, it, we don't need to mention them. We're just going to explain mm-hmm. it as emerging from the text. Mm-hmm. They didn't really think that was the source anyway, so it's okay. Right? <clears throat> He mentions it. Yeah. The Rambam mentions it in a couple of places. It was an asmachta. They just wanted to have a remez from the pasuk for the uh, for the ideas. That doesn't mean that they actually believed that was the basis for it. The basis for the truth of the explanation is that it's true. Right. It's a real explanation. So I, I don't need to reference their acrobatics and justifying it being true. That's all. And then he says, "Vine b'samachin olotam adinim b'pshutei aktuvim toel elashir yoter zikaron elo adinim benafshutenu." It also helps because you'll remember it better. Keeps okay. Torah. Efshar she is achub bekalut lofat madatenu bekriyata because we read the Torah all the time. See what a high expectation he has because we're reading Torah all the time, so you're going to remember it because you're going to see the words. Asher yutzum pshutei aktuvim ayem biorei mitzvot. When the explanation of the mitzvah emerges naturally from a reading of the pasul. Right? Because it becomes organic. It becomes integrated. Right? It's integrated. So therefore, when I read the Pasuk, I'm reading it with that understanding in mind. I'm seeing the Din emerge, the Be'ur emerge from the Word. As opposed to have to remember some complicated and all that, <coughs> I can just read the word and I see in the word the, the meaning and the explanation, you know? Okay. Let's see. Uh, in the end, he talks about how he's going to write all these books that he never wrote. So she. Okay. So, let's see how are we are we running okay on time? What do you what, what do you? Yeah, doing? I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Why, I'm what, what particularly was? enjoying this. But you, well, you want to take a break? No, no. Might just want to take some more water. Take another tea. Pause. So first of all, methodologically, he's not necessarily going to use Chazal's derivation sources. He's going to use, he's going to read the Pesuk. He's going to read basically the interpretation into the Pesuk, meaning he's going to say, in the example I gave before, like he would just read the word Achal and be like, oh, Achal is a type of Hana'ah, so really the meaning is Hana'ah. I'm just using that as an yeah. example, right? Wouldn't necessarily have to be that, but that's the kind of thing he does. Mm-hmm. He'll kind of just read it as this is explanation, that Achila is the primary way that you get benefit from a food, so it uses it as an example, but really it means hana, mm-hmm. right? He would just say that. He wouldn't say, oh, Chazal learned this because of this or because of that asmachta or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the first thing. And he says there's benefits to that. First of all, it's a more satisfying explanation when it's mm-hmm. organic. Second of all, you remember it better. Because it's not, why you remember it better? Because, because when something is intrinsic, you just end up reading it differently rather than reading the Pasuk and having to remember an additional pieces of information, which is how most people relate to Tawashah Balpeh, which is wrong. 
they relate to Torah Shagopah as a separate body of information instead of as an illumination of Torah Shabbat. It's so much true. better to relate to it as an illumination of Torah Shabbat. When you read the word Melacha, it should mean to use a certain definition. Not that, oh, the Torah says Melacha, and what is Melacha? Open up Masechah Shabbat, Perg Shvi'i, and read the, the uh, you know, Melachot Arba'im Chaserachat or whatever. That's a, di- that's a different, uh, that's the way that most people think of it. So they think of it as quantitative. Like a whole other body of, of, of information, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's not how it's really supposed to be because the, like the Rambam always emphasizes on the Ralbag is very much like the Rambam in this big emphasis. And my teacher, my teacher, Rabbi Sachs, that I mentioned, like he was also really, really, really emphatic about this in his teaching of us too. That Tawash Bichtav and Tawash Abalba have to be integrated with each other. Like that's the important thing. And it's, it's true from an understanding perspective because people end up thinking that it's like, oh, there's two, there's two bodies of, knowledge, of information. Like they could be separated from each other. You know, instead of seeing one as illuminating the other one. Now, if they hadn't been in books, meaning if you didn't have like a Talmud and it was Torah right. it would have been easier. That's the problem. Because with it down. became yeah. a separate body of information in different volumes. And, <clears throat> and certain people, mainly Ashkenazi people, made, it, made the study of Talmud a separate Endeavor. enterprise, totally disconnected from Torah Shabbat it was mainly Ashkenazim that did that, not the Sephardic rabbis. And, and, and that actually was much worse because then they reinforced the perception that Tawasha Bichtav and Tawasha Balpeh are totally separate bodies of information. It's interesting. Like even, even the idea of like, oh, well, you, because you can learn, you learn the Tawasha Bichtav in the, in the Talmud. It's like, I've heard As that. You're, it's so you're silly. Fulfilling the the chova of like getting the psukim, mm-hmm. not like in and of itself understanding that text. It's like no, because it's self. It's contain. It contains that too, so you could get it also. Like as an aside. Yeah. Yeah. Now that the essence is understanding the well, that came the from Rabbi yeah. and you get that through the legend. <clears throat> People misunderstood Rabbi Natan because he said, "Oh, yeah. you know, we learned Talmud and it's Bavli because it's Balul from Tawashi yeah. and then like, oh, that means you don't have to learn Tawashi Bichtav." But that was for that un- meant, assuming that you already un- right that he meant they, he meant by that that it was that you don't have to have be lichalik zmanli mudo into three things because. When you learn Talmud, you're going to learn Torah Shabbat Tochte because you already know that Torah Shabbat basically. So when you're learning Torah Shabbat you're going to be integrating that with the Torah Shabbat They're going to go hand in hand. That was his idea. I'm not so sure that's a good idea either. Yeah, but I'm I just think saying it's assuming that you already have the that you know the entire Torah Shabbat yeah. and your question, your question is the halachic question he's answering in Masechet Kiddushin is we're not mechalek zmanli mudin. Why not? Meaning on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. We don't divide it into Torah Shabbat Mishnah Gemara, we don't do that. Uh-huh. Why not? Oh, the answer is because yet we are Yotzei Dechovah by doing Talmud. Right? Okay, that's fine for the practical question. But how did you come to know Torah Shabbat to begin with? Obviously, when you were younger, you did it. Right? That's obvious. Should be. Should be. Right. Yeah. Look, the Rabbeinu Tam... Deb and Ezra went and visited Rabbeinu Tam for a while. They hung out together for a while. 
There's no way that Ibn Ezra would stay with somebody who didn't know Tanakh. <laughs> a rabbi that didn't know Tanakh. <laughs> that would be funny. They had an argument about about Mimachwata uh, Pesach and what it means. It's in the Tosfot and uh, Rosh Hashanah. I mentioned it. Like the Chacham Rabbi Avraham Ibn Ezra came. Very funny. And then he wrote, a, the story was that he wrote like a piyut, or Rabbi Natan wrote a piyut and sent it to Ibn Ezra, and Ibn Ezra was like, uh, focus on Tabla. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? In I guess it wasn't so good. Zota siba be'ena, ra'inu shenitan sibot b'mitzvah mitzvah, l'fi kitzurin. He did that double language again. For the same reason, we, we, we've seen fit to give him like reasons for the mitzvot. Siba, the mitzvah, mitzvah. You didn't see it? Yeah, according to our limited yeah. ability. Hmm. It makes a lot of sense. So he's saying two things. First of all, knowing the reason behind something is a complete knowledge of the thing. Right, you don't complete yeah, yeah. meaning. It's part of knowledge of a thing to know its reason. I mean, you wouldn't really know what a lulav. You don't understand lulav unless you know that why. Why do we shake lulav? Meaning, it's part of the. It's part of knowing the mitzvah. So that's the first reason to, to have reasons for the mitzvot is to complete your knowledge of the mitzvah. In other words, it's your. Wait, where it, do we start talking about reasons for the mitzvah? Saying sibot. I know. I know, but. How do we? Uh, he's talking about it because he's. He's gonna because he's gonna you're gonna see because he's saying. Part of his, his enterprise is that your understanding should be integrated and should, be, and should stay with you. Mm. So he's like, just like I told you regarding the psukim, that I'm going to not distract you with like chazal, I'm not going to bring in midrashim, I'm also not going to bring in the, reason, the basis for their interpretation of the pasuk. I'm just going to mm. explain the pasuk in the right way, mm-hmm. the right way, the official right. way, right? He said, because number one, that'll be clearer. It'll be mityashev yoter benefesh. And also you'll remember it better because it'll be, it'll be seamless with your reading right. of the psukim. When you read ayin tachadayin, you think of money, whatever. Okay? Um, he says, in the same, for the same reason, I'm going to bring reasons for the mitzvot. First of all, it completes your understanding of the topic to know the reasons behind it. But second of all, it makes it stick in your mind. When you know right. some, the reason for something, then you, it, you retain it better than when it's just yeah, arbitrary. Because why? What's the reason for that? What's the reason? Why? Why? Yeah, why? 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 It's practical. Why? What do you mean? Meaning, when when something is when something is relevant to you, you 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 retain it better. Meaning, it's like like having something in the abstract versus having something that that you could apply. I'll take it even further than that. Even further than that is that whenever what does a reason mean? It means that. You, you, what you do when you explain a mitzvah is you connect it to ideas that you already had. Meaning you're connecting it to deeper ideas. You're, in, you're interconnecting it to things that are in your minds. So it's becoming more 
intertwined. So if you think about it as like uh, neural connections right. or whatever, right? It's becoming more integrated. So like, let's say you have an idea of Avat Hashem, your Avat Hashem, whatever, and you show how this mitzvah actually facilitates Avat Hashem because of this and this. And like, oh, now it's like a part of my understanding of Avat Hashem that I had like you that. put it in the folder. I, I, right, it becomes enmeshed. Instead of just being a free-floating, right. free-floating information, it's like, I don't have a context right. for it, right? So therefore I might not remember it. But when you integrate things, like all of a sudden it becomes part of the unit of the of your of your understanding. You understand what I mean? Yeah. So like, so I think I think that's the reason. So it so that's what it says. You're not memorizing right. things Wrote that are not me. connected. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that when I was in with with maybe one or two exceptions, most classes in college, yeah. there was, some of them you had to just remember. It's like I remember like anatomy and physiology. I just memorized all the information, but. In a lot of classes, I would anatomy, say... Anatomy, yes. Yeah. Physiology, less. So, yeah, right. Well, it was... My I, class had both. It was like a yeah. first year. It was like I'm a freshman. As, as topics. Right, like, as topics. Anatomy yeah. Anatomy is like long. naming a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so... Physiology is like... There's a system. Yeah, there's more con- concepts. That's but how in I that course, I, I had to memorize a ton of just names of stuff. Yeah. Right? So when I... Of course, I don't remember any of it now, but I did then. Um, in the... In other classes, the way that I would do things is I would always try to be an active learner. So let's say there was a lot of studies that I had to remember or a lot of this. So I'd say, okay, what are the themes behind these studies? What is the basic thing? I think exactly the same. And then once you have a theme in your mind and you're like, oh, and this fits into the theme because it clarifies this part. And this fits into the theme because it clarifies this part, Mm -hmm. right? Or it's an extension of this part. And so all of a sudden in your mind, you have like a folder, like you said. That's why principles are so important. And the folder... That's why I, I, I often said, you know, like a lot, I remember I talked to, I think it was with John, maybe Rabbi John one time, about like uh, the derech limud of like the briskers with all their, you know, cheftzah, all these different terminologies that they use to classify things. And we were talking about the utility of that. And I said that, you know, even though it's a limited, it has a limited range of use because it can only really give a technical descriptions of things like, oh, this is halakha of the gavra, this is halakha of this. They put things in very um, abstract categories. It's very useful for remembering things because once you take something up to a level of uh, some kind of a concept, even if it's a limited concept, it helps you to retain it with greater clarity than something that you haven't thought conceptually about not only that it also allows for the rest of the material to f- fall into to fit place somewhere well. in yeah. there yeah like that's literally how i was able to to get through and yeah, so there you go so do you have the the raw box seems to support that concept he's saying that having idea behind it helps you to when you have a unifying theme mm-hmm. the, it, it, you're not memorizing you're not memorizing information the information is fitting yeah. in to the to, to, a, yeah. to a theme yeah it seems to work okay what's next he always says that. It's like <laughs> such a weird thing to say. Should not be hidden from yeah. us. Meaning we should know it. Just say yeah. we should know it. I do have to say it. Right. So that's what Basically, what, yeah. 
אינו באופן שיקבל כמו זאת המתה. ‫המתה means like verification. ‫לאמת. ‫כבר ביאר זה הפילוסוף ‫בספר המדות. ‫המידות. ‫המידות. ‫-זה אפקט של ארסון. ‫אז מה הוא אומר? ‫הוא אומר ‫שהמצווה,אבל There's, there's, there's not going to be a thing like that, right? So he gives two examples. He says, Chochmat HaLimudiyot and Chochmat HaTeva. So in Chochmat HaLimudiyot means like math, right? There's not going to be a mathematical proof. Since there's X and there's Y, therefore there must be the Tfilin. There's not, not going to be anything like that. In Chochmat HaTeva also there are causes, like there are distinct causes, forces, whatever, that lead to... specific outcomes, right? There's like experimental, you know, the cause and effect. It's not going to be cause and effect reasoning because cause and effect reasoning is too, it makes the conclusion necessary from the premise. Meaning it's not going to be, you can explain, I can explain my action to you without showing, to you, showing you that it was necessary that I did that. Oh, I bought you a birthday card and I wrote a message in it and I put a candy inside because I wanted to make you have a good day, right? I can't show you that from the fact that I wanted to have you to have a good day, it was necessary that I buy a specific mm. card and put it in. Why is it necessary? There's many, many different ways to do that. It's not going to be necessary like the way that it's necessary that X2, you know, 2X plus 3X equals 5X. Mm. It's not going to be the same. And it's not going to be necessary the same way that if I let an object fall in gravity, it's going to go down. It's not the same. It's not necessary. Meaning mm-hmm. I can say this is the explanation for my action. It was because mm-hmm. I wanted to make your day very nice, so I got you a card and I put a candy. I, I'm explaining. Mm-hmm. I'm not showing the necessity of it. So that's what Aristotle says in Midot. What Aristotle says in, it's not called Sefer HaMidot, obviously. It's called Ethics. And he doesn't talk about the Torah. And he doesn't, you know, obviously. What he talks about is that levels of verification depend upon the nature of the subject matter. You can't expect mathematical verification of an ethical principle right. or an ethical course of action. You can't expect scientific demonstration of it. Same way as with a person wants to know, did this happen historically? Did Harsinai, did it happen? Prove it to me that it happened. I can't prove to you that George Washington lived. I can't prove to you that, that Yasser Arafat lived. What about the video? It was a doctor. I, I can't prove anything about history. What can I show you? The most reasonable explanation is that it happened. That's, that's historical proof. Historical proof is what's the most reasonable version of events, not necessary, reasonable, right? So that different subjects have different standards of proof. You don't expect a mathematical proof of history. You don't expect a scientific proof of ethics. You don't. So he's saying in the same way when it comes to mitzvot, I can't show you... The purpose of the mitzvah was, the purpose of Shabbat is to make a person realize God created the world. Whatever. That's very simplistic, right? Therefore, it had to be that a person abstained from Melachah and Yom Shvi'i to do. Who said that it had to be? It could be another way to do it. Right? So, like, that's an example. That's what he means. He's not going to give you reasons in the sense of necessary cause and effect. He's going to give you explanations. We would call it explanation, not a reason. You know? Mm-hmm. That's why they always call it Ta'ameh mitzvah, yeah. the taste of mitzvah, you know.
Or like the, the, the Sefer HaChinuch uses the term Mishorosheh HaMitzvah. The Shorashim of the Mitzvah. Meaning these are Mishorosheh HaMitzvah. Uh, from among the roots of the uh, mitzvah yeah. is this. Meaning, I'm not from telling you this is a total... Right, yeah. there's a, one of the roots of the, the mitzvah. I can't say this is a total picture, mm-hmm. you know. He's actually great. Under, very underappreciated, uh, even among the so-called rationalist uh, group of the Sebrachino. Very good. Mm-hmm. It's a really good sefer to, to know and to learn. He also was fundamentally a Maimonidi, and even though he brings in the Ramban and he mentions the Mikubalim very respectfully as, you know, having Sodot that he doesn't understand or whatever, mm-hmm. but he, he's very much a Rambalist in his approach to most things. Okay. What does he say? Okay, what does what the philosopher say? Okay, yeah, there's, a, there's a, like a um, systematic thing. Whenever he says half philosophy, he means Aristotle. He's the philosopher, there's no other one. In okay. Odmil Vado. <laughs> all right. All of them, they t- call him the philosopher. All of the commentaries. Everybody from that era, if they said yeah. the philosopher would be like, you know, the king being Elvis, you know. Right. Or whatever. Or, or uh, you know, any other, uh, I think of another example, but there's a lot. Just where you, have, you refer by one, to, one name yeah. to, to, to uh, he was the philosopher. Right. Basically. So, uh, yeah. you have to look at what's the nature of the subject and you determine what the, what's going to be considered a valid argument. Obviously, right? It's in politics. You can make all kinds of arguments. Can you show necessarily this economic policy is going to lead to... You can't. You can say this is the reason why I'm choosing this economic policy and I have reason to believe it's going to work this way or I interpret, you know, I interpret the facts, the economic uh, situation this way. You can't show necess- necessity in those areas. Why is he, why does he find it important to say that I'm not going to show you nece- that it was necessary? What, 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 is, what presumptions are we making that it had to be like this? I bet, uh, I think, you know, they say, so what do you think? I don't know. He said before that the Torah is like Chokhmat right? It's like science, meaning it's like just like Chokhmat uh. so the wisdom of the universe is the wisdom that governs the universe is, is you know, Hashem's Chokhmat governs the universe. So too, Hashem's Chokhmat governs, guides a person to actualize their uh, their in, in, their ability, you know, their spiritual intellectual ability. So you might have thought, oh, then therefore the Torah is going to be like science, going to be like learning science. Oh, this necessarily, it. but it doesn't work like that. Right, so I, I assume that's why that he right. thought you might think that. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing, but I, I, I assume. It's like, I don't want you to think lightly of the explanations I give. So they, you're going to say, You told me this was a chokhmah. Where's the, where's the chokhmah in this? That's why he's saying it. Right. So Hashem like today. Today people want everything scientific. Yeah. It's not scientific. This is, that's exactly why he's saying, saying it. He's, there's no such thing as scientific. Yeah. He's saying he's saying don't think that it's less of a of a wisdom that it's not necessary. Right. It would be idiotic yeah. actually if you tried to make it a mathematical. Right. Which who did that? Which who did that actually? Spinoza. He was. He, 
Spinoza did ethics demonstrated according to a ge- geometrical principles like this, this, therefore necessarily this, this, this. That's what he did. He said, "I'm going to formulate ethics as a as a mathematical or geometric science, and therefore his that's actually literally like this. The, this these are the premises, these are the corollaries, these are the uh, you know the demonstrations and QED." At the end of the thing, like he literally tried to make ethics into. He would say he succeeded in. He succeeded. I'm saying tried. Um, he starting from proving existence of God according to his understanding, m- moving down like to making it necessary, like meaning that my choice to. Uh, Get angry or not get angry is is necessarily is necessarily bad or good based upon the existence of God. Like he literally tried to make everything necessary from the top down, emerging from the top down, which is hilarious and really absurd. But that's what the uh, that's exactly what the Rambam is saying is 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 foolish. Just like the Rambam says also about like certain things in the Torah, I'll be like, uh, if it says there are seven sheep on a certain holiday part of the Musaf, uh, don't ask why is it not six. Uh, it had to be some number. So what you're gonna do, if I said six, then you're gonna say why is it not seven? Uh, uh, no, but the question there is not never what what the absolute number, why the absolute number. It's what because once you're saying a number, right. then it, it it begs the question. But he says, he says that. Once you're dealing in the physical world, everything has a number. So what if there's no significance to the number? What am I going to pick then? Right? So it's like, hey, whatever. Bring so, a few. It right, said bring a few. few. Yeah, but then it would not have a law. It has to have a law. But like, it's similar to like in the Ibn Ezra, it says in Gilat Rut, it describes how many, like how much barley Boaz gave to Rut to bring home. And it's like the, the uh, you know, the Chazal bring Drashot and they ask. You know, he's like people ask, why does it say in the pasuk that he gave her this amount? He's like, the answer is because that's how much he gave. Why are you asking? It's like there's no reason why I did it. Yeah, but that's it's not satisfying because well, Rav Hirsch and the, the Maharal and Rav Hirsch like attacked the Rambam for that. They're like, no, how can you say it's arbitrary? He's not saying it's arbitrary. He's saying there's a reason to bring these korbanot. It had to be made numbers. So the, the Tawaf fixed the numbers. Happen. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean there's Dvarim Shepher or Moshe Lulam in the numbers. It's, that's, yeah. But uh, whatever. That's yeah. not even important. But like the main point is that you can't necess- – that the trying to make things d- necessarily proven as true from some first principles doesn't work in the area of law. It doesn't work in the area of ethics. It doesn't work in any – in any human framework it's because it's not uh, that's not the nature of the of the study so he can show you reasons but don't expect it to be the kind of reasons that it's scientific it's like if a person like i need scientific proof the Torah is real uh, scientific there's no scientific proof that anything is real that any any that any book was really written by the author that it claims it was written or any historical event happened uh do you ask your wife for scientific proof that she loves you i mean yeah. there's, there's no there's no yeah. such thing to say it differently he is he saying that you you can you can build it backwards once you have the Torah to see that there is wisdom, mm. but but that doesn't necessarily mean that if you were to rebuild it forwards that it would have come out the same way. Does that make right. sense? Meaning, meaning 
Meaning you can't look from the top down and say, can't oh, this was the necessary effect that, right, of a cause. But you could, you could look at the mitzvah and show what, what it's coming to What it's coming to, to accomplish. Yeah. Right? It's more like, like I was giving the example before. It's more like explaining, the, it's more like explaining it than, than, uh, than uh, proving it or, or you know, giving, a, giving a, a demonstration of the mitzvah uh-huh. that it, it had to be this way. Um, so, but an explanation, like the way you would do an action, say, "Oh, I did it for this reason or that reason." What's what yeah. function does it serve? Not yeah. not what it have to be that you don't need chametz. Maybe uh, could have been that uh, uh, that you have to go for a run on uh, the night of Pesach, mm-hmm. as if you were running out of time. I don't know. Yeah, I you know? got what you're saying. So they, there could have been other things. That's where chukim come in. Also, the idea of a chok is meaning that the the value behind it. Could have been expressed in many ways. Why do we express it in the non-eating of chametz and cleaning the house instead of some other uh, some other ritual that we could have done? Because that was the that's a chok. That's that that's the way it's done. You can't prove it that had to be the way. You can show why it works as the way and what it accomplishes. But if somebody offered an alternative, I couldn't necessarily tell you why that wasn't the one that God picked. Right. And at the end of the day, no matter what it is, you could ask the same question. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is determined by the purpose, not by the not by a pre-existing cause. Okay. So what do they say now? Oh, so this is the hard part of it, actually. Um, so now the Ralbag basically um, goes through what he calls mikomot, and uh, for sure, this is the hardest part of the introduction. It's a little technical because. He doesn't care, and he'll just bring examples that are really abstruse examples that he just assumes that if you're reading this, like you know, you're you're a bucky and all of shas and all of everything. So he'll just bring it. But basically, the perp- the point is that he has uh, he calls them mikomot, which is like sort of a weird um, carryover from the Greek uh, term, but principles that he uses in the reading of of Torah, they're not really principles in the reading of stories of Torah. They're principles in the reading of mitzvot. Okay? So that's what he says, V'hinei natchil zikron ha-mikomot asher nishtamesh bahem bebeorei ha-mitzvot. Okay? He has nine principles that he uses in his explanation of the mitzvot. Okay? So, so the first one gives you an example of what kind of thing it is. And I'm not sure to what extent it's worthwhile for us to go through all of them. You decide, okay? But like, for somebody who's learning through the Ralbag, it's good to do it because he'll refer to it and be like, oh, like I explained in Makom Rivi'i and Makom Chamishi and whatever, he'll do that. But he'll say, look at the example to give you an idea of what he means, okay? A lot of times the Torah will take an, 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 a specific to represent the general. Mm, like okay. a Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two types. Meaning they'll learn the general principle from the specific. That's the Rambam Shita, right? Anytime you have two different animals, one is kosher, one is not kosher, that's when you have the rule of not plowing with them together. Okay? So basically they generalized from that to kosher, non-kosher. 
ונזכרה וכאן אחר אישה תמורת כל מלאכה. Right? And, 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 and plowing is just an example. So shor is just an example of a kosher animal. Chamor is just an example of an unkosher. Charisha is an example of melacha. Right? Sheyishtatfu bo ba'alei chayim. Ha-torim matamei. Anything that a kosher and non-kosher animal could join together. Kamoshnit ve'ezo v'inyan zot ha-mitzvah b'shminim mikilayim. Like it says in the eighth paragraph of, of Mishnah Kilayim, which I'm sure you said on the tip of everyone's tongue. Uv'imkomot mefuzorim maya talmud. Right? Ukvar yedvayim matayim nilmad me'aprat ha-klal u'matay lo. So it's, it remains, you know, there's a rule for when you generalize and when you don't. Um, Wait, how, how, did he say how? No. Based upon the nature of the mitzvah, the words in it, like you'll see in our words. When he uses it, he explains why he did or didn't, right? Uh. He's using yechayev, even though, you know, שיהיה הדין כן בשאר בעלי חיים. רצוני לומר שלא נשתפים במלאכה אחת. כשיהיה אחת במלאכה טהור, meaning like why would חרישה be any different than other מלאכות? So obviously it means that you shouldn't have that with any מלאכות. Right? So that's the first type. But that's, that's an example of what he's talking about. But you see how right away that opens up a totally different way of reading Torah yeah. because you read a word and you wonder is this just an example or is this a, a principle? Totally different way of reading it. Yeah, but he's right. not yet telling you where it's what. He's, he's saying right. He's telling you these are the things I'm going to be referring to. So like he'll be talking about mitzvah and be like, oh, like I explained in Makom Harishon. Yeah. Oh, what was that again? Right. No, that's very helpful, honestly. Yeah. And he says, right. So sometimes you, there could be a particular rule that generalizes. Sometimes it will generalize beyond this mitzvah. That was within the mitzvah, right? Meaning within the mitzvah, it says shor v'chamor, it actually means kosher and non-kosher animal. It says charisha, it means any melacha, right? Now we're talking about generalizing from mitzvah A to mitzvah B. We could also do that. It's kind of like zerah shavah or something, right? But not exactly. Ve'amashal sh'atua zacha b'zman achilat atua, toda shi kodashim kalim, shu liyom v'layla. Korban toda is yom v'layla. You're allowed to eat it for one day and one night, the day and the following night. U'misham v'lachia notar nisraf, after that you burn it. It never mentions for Kodshe Kodashi, meaning, let's say, for a Khatat. What's the deadline for eating a Khatat for the Kohanim? It doesn't mention it. Right? Right? So the point is that. We know from the Torah that a shlamim can actually be eaten for two days and one night in the meal, because it says, okay? It says, We're allowed to eat the shlamim for two days. A todah, it davka says only one day. So if you're going to compare the kodashim, the kodshei kodashim that are more holy, a todah is basically the same as a shlamim and it's kedushah, because the, the owners eat most of it. So it's, it's the same as, as, as other... Uh, uh, as a shlamim in its level of kedusha, if a toda already is limited to one day, so kal v'chomer chatat ve'asham that are kochei kodeshim and only kohanim are allowed to eat it and only in the bet hamikdash and all that, certainly it's going to be only one day, right? That's what he's saying. So that's sort of like a kal v'chomer. It's sort mm-hmm. of like a whatever, right? That's not how the gemara learns it out in masechet vachim. The gemara masechet vachim uses a. Uh, uh, you know, Gzera Shavah, Hatzad HaShaveh all these other like Gemara tricks to prove it. Okay? It doesn't just say, well, it's obvious if a Korban, it tries that, but it, you know, it's not, 
it comes up with all kinds of complex uh, reasoning. It's like, you don't need any of that. It's self-evident on a shot level that that would be the case without the rabbis uh, jumping, you know, jumping through hoops to get it. When he talked about rhetoric, he also said the same thing. That, you know, when you're dealing with uh, something that is a... Um, when you, when you speak, you could, you could make an example and from the example, generalize from that example to other cases. So one is generalizing from examples to a general rule, like kosher animal comes from shor and non-kosher from chavon, right? And from charisha comes om The other one is saying, if in context A, we have this principle and it makes, more, it makes just as much sense in context B to have it, so we have to also have it in context B. So it's another type of generalizing. It's... It's, it's generalizing beyond the initial context, mm-hmm. right? So the first point, basically, you could, you could summarize as saying, generalizing from particulars. That's the thing. Right? We have an, a, a, a limited or a case to teach you a general principle. That's the first example. Now, you see right away that that, all the gemarot, the gogzira shavah, all of this stuff to try to prove about different inyanim. The Ralbag is bypassing all that and just saying, just read the Pesukim. If the Pasuk for, if a Korban to does one day, then definitely a Kodshik is not going to be uh, two days. You know? So, so, so it opens up such, like, you read the word, I don't know, Beged, what does it mean? Uh, uh, read the word Melacha, what is it referring to? You read the word um, Achila, uh, like we said before, is it, does it mean Hana'ah? So it, it's a different way of reading. Am I looking at a specific and I should limit to the specific or am I looking at a, an example of something broader? It's, 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 a, it's a totally yeah. different way of reading, right off the bat. I'm just gonna go use the restroom for a sec and then we'll come back. I guess we can pause. Only three hours. All right, so Makom um, Mashini. Okay, so, that's, so that was the first Makom, right? So the, the thing is, the first Makom is the most fundamental because basically is the idea that um, uh, um, a material particular is actually representative of a principle, and that's like going back to his whole, his whole thing. Like it's all about the form. It's all about the pr- underlying principle, about the abstracted principle. It's not about the material thing. So, like again, saying that this concrete particular is really a uh, embodiment of a certain concept is exactly what he's all like. Yeah. Exactly his whole thing. Yeah. Right. So that's why it's the most fundamental one, I assume. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah. let's see. What's the translation of satum? Uh, like uh, unexplained. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, in other words, using context essentially to. To, to, to explain something. so Using context somewhere else. Somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have to use all the things, all of the instruments available at your disposal to understand the Pasuk, even when there's nothing in that particular context. You have to look broader, at a broader range. Mm-hmm. He likes the Korbanot example. Yeah, Probably because uh, they're most, the most abstract. Maybe, yeah. I'm not sure. O Asham so meaning we don't know when you're supposed to bring a korban chatat, when you're supposed to bring a korban asham and all these different korbanot. We don't know under what circumstances you're supposed to bring them. It just says a chet, which kind of a chet? There's lots of chets that you could do. 
הוא כבר נלמד פירוש זה המאמר ממה שנאמר בכיוצא בזה בפרשת שלח לך, שכבר תמצא שם אם מעיני העדה נעשתה לשגגה, כמו שנאמר בפרשת ויקרא, ונעלם דבר מעיני הקהל ועשו אחת מכל מצוות השם. So the word מצוות השם, the question is what is it referring to? Okay? That, that you have to bring a korban chatat for. So it happens to be that there's two places that describe the korban, korban chatat. One is in Parshat Shlach and one is in Parshat Vayikra. In Parshat Vayikra, it talks about the chatat of the tzibur and yachid and, and kohen gadol and nasi and all that. And then in Parshat Shlach, it talks about a yachid and it talks about the rabim. Okay, me'ene ha'ida means that the leaders gave a ruling that was wrong and the people followed it. So... In both, we assume that these two things are commenting on each other, these two uh, uh, treatments of the idea of a communal chatat for a communal sin and the idea of an individual chatat. They're commenting on each other. So, if the, so we can derive something from one on the other. So it says, V'timtza shechayev sham l'tzibur par k'mo shechayev b'kan. In Parshat Shalach, the tzibur brings a par and a sa'ir actually. Right? So, but it mentions a power just like it mentions a power by Vaikra. Ela Shosif Sham Sayir. Oh, he said that, sorry. Sham Ez In over there in Shalach, it mentions bring a goat. Whereas in, um, so that's a male goat. Uh, uh, in the case of, um, yeah, not a male goat, a, uh, a one year goat. And in the case of a, uh, in the case of a, uh, a vaikra, you have a choice. You can either bring a sheep or a goat. Okay? An older goat, I guess, you bring for, uh, for, for the other one. ולזה למדנו שהמצוות אשר יזה הקורבן להן, הן מסוג המצוות הנזכרות בפרשת שלח לך, אין הבדל ביניהן, אלא שהנזכרת בפרשת שלח לך היא שקולה כנגד כל המצוות, והיא עבודה זרה. והנזכרת בפרשת ויקרא אינן ניטלות בהן שאר המצוות. He's saying that from the fact that these are similar but different, basically. He's showing you that they're very similar. You have two cases of a chatat yachid and two cases of a chatat tzibur. One of them, you bring a, uh, one of them the community brings a bull. One, they bring a bull and a goat. One of them, you, for the yachid, you bring a sheep or a lamb. The other one, you bring a goat, like an older goat, right? So... Um, so it seems like they're similar, but there's obviously a difference between them. And he says that the difference is that one is, says, Mikol mitzvot Hashem. Because it says if, the per, if they violated Kol mitzvot Hashem, which is Avodah Zorah. Okay? Because in the case of Shlach Lecha, the Pasuk is, um, right, in Vayikra it says, Mikol mitzvot Hashem. From all of the mitzvot of Hashem, whereas over there it's uh, the it's et kol mitzvot kol mitzvot ha'ele or kol mitzvot Hashem. What's the actual pasuk over there? Can you look mm-hmm. in shlach? Um, I'm trying to think of Hold on, see. I'm mixing them up in my mind. Once you hear them both, it's hard to remember which mm-hmm. one's which. Let me see. So in the case of Vayikra, in the case of Shlach is one I can't remember. In the case of Shlach, what does it say? What's the language we're looking for? I got it, I got it. 
So here it says, um, here it says, Imene Aidan Estas Gavasu Kolaida Vechidis Gavdotasu et Kola Mitzvotela. That's what it is. I should do Rashi Mugad Moshe. Right. If they didn't do all the mitzvot. So if you read that simplistically, it sounds like it means that they did every single avera that there is in the Torah. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it means. It's saying it means avodazah. Right? So but it's, it's a mitzvah that shkula keneged kol mitzvot. So in Vayikra, when it says they did achat mikol mitzvot Hashem, obviously it means just one. When it says kol mitzvot Hashem, it doesn't mean they did every one of the sins. It means that they did avodazah. Okay, that's, that's what he's, he's saying. So... Okay, so the so when it's so that that's why in Parshat Shlach the requirement is stricter for the community. There's two korbanot that they have to bring instead of one, and for the individual he has to bring an older, more mature uh, goat as opposed to a sheep or lamb uh, 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 or a uh, you know a younger animal, right? And and so he says. Uh, oh, he said it. I could have just looked at him. See, I went and I opened the book and then he said it anyway, right? So, so in one it says achat mikol mitzvot and one it says kol mitzvot. V'yevshal shene shenomar sheye omro et kol mitzvot ha'elek shim shagigu bekulam yaviu parav b'sayir. It can't mean that they violated all 248 mitzvot and they bring, or 365 negative mitzvot and they bring uh, uh, one, you know, just two korbanot. Right? So, Because if they really did all 365 mitzvot, negative mitzvot, then they would have to bring for all of them, right? So this is an example where um, he's using a kind of a complicated example. I don't know why he's using such a difficult example. And such a, an example that's already like making a lot of assumptions. It's a hard example. But what he's trying to say is that you have two, you, you, what is the X in the, in the, here? We have the, the case in Shlach Lecha that talks about a, an individual korban and a communal korban for a communal sin. And, they, and it sounds stricter because it's requiring an older, like a more mature korban for the individual. It's re- requiring two korban for the community. And in the and having a baby, you know, a kid or a sheep, um, for in Vaikra and for the community, just a bull, so it's lesser, right? That's that's one thing. So in the case of Shalach, is it lesser just because it's two versus one or two versus one? Yeah, that's because there's an extra one. So the in the case of Shalach, it says et kol mitzvot Hashem, and in the case of the Vaikra, it says achat mikol mitzvot Hashem, right? So there's this difference. So the first step is to say kol mitzvot Hashem means avodah So clearly there's some, but what we don't know is what is achat mikol mitzvot Hashem. Does it mean any mitzvah that you violate, you have to bring a, uh, you have to bring a korban? Any mitzvah? Or is there some uh, limit to the mikol mitzvot Hashem that it's a certain type of a mitzvah? So he says avodah obviously is uh, very severe and you bring a par of He says that that's also something that shechayavim alav karet and so we generalize from Chayavim Alav Karet to say that the, the mitzvot that it's talking about in Vayikra are also Shechayavim Alav Karet. 
Meaning, seemingly what he's trying to say is that, meaning, it's not avodaz, everything but avodaz, so it's, it's a little bit of complicated because he, it's a complicated example because you have to accept a lot of things. You have to accept that kol, et kol mitzvot Hashem means avodaz in, in Parshat Shalach. And then you have to say that et mi kol mitzvot Hashem doesn't mean avodaz actually, because that wouldn't make any sense because we already said that. But it means something similar, mikol mitzvot Hashem, something similar. Why are you fixating on the way that it's similar? Is that's chayavim malav karet? Right? It's, it's, it's sort of like, he doesn't explain why that's what, what's being focused on. Mm-hmm. Meaning it almost sounds just like the same thing. As, the, it almost sounds like the same thing as one of the, uh, one of the rabbinic drashot of Gzera Shava almost. Because mm-hmm. he's like, why did you pick that feature? What's the principle here? The principle here is that you can use a, a different context to shed light on this context. Mm, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. So so it there must be something that Avodazara has in common with these mitzvot, but there aren't those other mitzvot are not Avodazara, the ones that are Mechayevi on a korban. They're not right? So he's saying it must be that they're Chayav Karet. In other words that they're fundamental in some way. They're not just um, obviously the fundamental of fundamentals is Avodazara, but these also must be fundamental because it can't be that I don't know uh, doing a minor infraction and avodazara are only differentiated by very little. Right? He's trying to say that it must be from the fact that for avodazara you bring two korbanot par How could it be that for uh, a minor infraction you're going to bring uh, just a par or half of avodazara? Doesn't make sense that it would be that close, right? Meaning he's trying to say that they must. It must be that the severity is similar to that of avodazara, hmm. even though the um, even though the it's not full avodazara. So that, that's, the, that, that's what he derives. But the point is that since we, the X in the question is we don't know which mitzvot you're obligated to bring a korban chatat. Okay, so he says it's things that are, things that are chayav al-zidon karet. Just like avodazara. But avodazara itself, which is kol mitzvot Hashem, it's the fundamental of everything, that all other mitzvot are, are dependent upon, that is two korbanot, or a different, different korbanot for the individual and for the uh, community. When it comes to uh, Sefer Vayikra, it's talking about mitzvot that are not nitlot bahin shara mitzvot. They're not the, the, that which holds up all the other mitzvot. But what does karet really mean? It means that your membership in Am Yisrael is dependent upon it. Because chayav zedonot karet means that this is something that to violate it is basically to cut yourself off from Am Yisrael. So it's fundamental in terms of your being part of Am Hashem. Even though it's not the fundamental of fundamentals, you saw the you saw the, let's say, but it's fundamental in terms of your identity as a Jew, as a member of the Am Kadosh, mm-hmm. right? So <clears throat> it's fundamental in terms of your avodat Hashem, your relationship to God. Even though it's not the fundamental, fundamental of the belief in God, right? So saying it must be a fundamental mitzvah. So we learn from the fact that you see that when do you bring a korban for a fundamental violation? So you saw that you saw that everything else is relied was dependent upon. Or fundamental in the sense that my avodat Hashem is, uh, you know, is uprooted by it because mm-hmm. I become, you know, I'm, I get karet if I did it on purpose. And so, mm-hmm. so that, so that's the, he's trying to show you that we can use the case of the avodat korban to shed light on that this must also be fundamental in some way. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he doesn't tell you how he gets to kol amitzvot is avodat Right, he's assuming that kol that's what Chazal say, right? Yeah. He's assuming that because kol mitzvah Hashem can't mean a quantitative kol. Because mm-hmm. then it would just be yeah. an aggregate of all the violations that you did. Yeah. Right? So therefore it must mean a, a, a qualitative kol. A qualitative kol, meaning that it's, uh, 
it's something that undermines all mitzvot, which right. would be Avodah Zohar. Mm-hmm. And then something that undermines a person's relationship to God, even without Avodah Zohar, is something that you get cut off because it's mm-hmm. something you get cut off from, from Amisa. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the idea. So, or you lose a Lamabah in the Rambam's view. But same, same concept, really. Mm-hmm. Right? So, the, that's, so that's an example of where you're using something in one context to shed light on another one. So you have to read broadly. So the first one is you can't look at every in particular as, an, as the totality. You have to see it as in representing a concept. And the second one is you can't look at, a pas, you can't look at psukim in isolation. You have to look at them in, their, in, the other, in the context of the other passages that they're related to when you're shedding light on what they mean. Right? This is one of his famous things. He says all the time. This is the definition of the word means something. Whatever the meaning of the word. He uses this a lot. This is probably the one he uses the most, I would say. He says this is because of this is the definition of the word. It means this. Alright, so for example, let's see what he gives an example. Right, he says, what does it say? It says you have to register for the Korban Pesach on the se, on the animal. And we only call an animal a se when it's alive. Because what do you call a dead animal? Basar. You don't call it a se, mm-hmm. right? So he's saying the fact that it says that you have to register on the se means that you have to register on what is still alive. Once the shechita is done, you can't register on the meat of the korban pesach. So he's using that as an instance of saying again, the meaning of the word imposes certain right. certain has certain implications. You don't have to go looking for a shava, kal v'chomer, this that, all kinds of drashot. No, the meaning of the word a se means a living animal. You don't use the word se; it's called basar. Once it once it's dead. Right. So that's the, yeah, so the, that example gets the point, but that's true. He uses that one a lot. Definition of the word as a uh, as as uh, a way of, of or reading. Or altogether. Yeah, or altogether. Or is like, what does the definition dictate? What is it? What the definition of the word dictate just in terms of its meaning? Without adding anything, what would you read the word se as meaning? A living se. If I give you a, I say, would you like a se? Yes, I would really like a se. And I brought you a lamb chop. It's not a... Mm-hmm. It's not a uh, se. It, it wouldn't be. Uh, it wouldn't be a se. Okay, that's a good, easy example, yeah. right? Okay. A makom arvi who shapulot shows a chaut amatov wish yuvnu beofen sheyugal inyan elapulot. Oh, he likes this one too. He uses a lot, a lot, a lot. Also, that when the Torah mentions an action, it should be understood in the sense that people generally do that action. In the most proper and normal way to do it. Okay? That's talking about somebody who digs a pit. That's called in you know, a person who digs a pit and the animal falls in. Mm. Right? Amru zal v'nafal ad sheipol b'derech nefila. It means it fell in the normal way. Okay. Uma shebiyaru mitznai harbe me'apulot shiu bayom. Or let's say, for example, the fact that uh, many things have to be done during the day. Ki hamugal me'apulot ha'u. 
Because most important activities are done at day and not at nighttime. That's all. That's like the most simplistic, uh, mm. basic point. Right? Yeah. What you do during the day is usually done better. You're more alert. There's better light. Whatever. It's better. It's better if the things be done during the day. When the Torah says do it with your hand, it usually means your powerful, your strong hand, right? Right hand. That's more normal and it's also more effective, obviously for a right ear. Right. Right? But the point is that he's saying it's just the, the fact that they have to have a drasha that it's yad yamin, it's not really, you don't really need that because yad means use the right, the, the yad that's the best. Yeah. You the other the best. When it says to do something, it means at the time that's the best. Okay, they'll say it to Hashem. Oh, because it says bayom ashmini, bayom below below. No, it's just because it's the best time to do it, and it's it would be muvan me'elav yeah. from the word. Okay, it's similar to hoa'ata gedir, except instead of word, it's the nature of the action. Right, it's, it's not the a context term that you would think that it's derived in. Right, it's not a term. It's the it's the action itself has certain parameters that would be the most uh, typical or the most ideal. And therefore, we interpret it as meaning that, as, as, as presupposing that you're going to read, do this with your hand, as meaning with your right hand, not with your left hand, mm-hmm. if you're writing. If I tell you to do an activity of, uh, uh, on the eighth day, uh, do a brit milah, you're going to assume it means daytime, not nighttime, because that's the time that you do, do important activities. You don't wait till the nighttime. Right. You know, that's, that's it's very simple. Vulam. Here's an example of a, where it wasn't just the normal way to do it, but it's a more shalem way. This is a different kind of shlemot, meaning putting the tefillin on your brain area, meaning not between your eyes here, but on your head above, on your brain, and on your arm, on your next to your heart. Because all idea is to direct your heart and your mind to the content. So that's shalem, not in terms of the practical activity that should be done with the right hand because you do it better because you don't fumble because you're using your uh, weaker hand, but it's more shalem in terms of the purpose of the activity. Right? To have it instead of placing it down here. over there, he's going to explain how you know that it doesn't mean it literally. That it should be on your hand and between your eyes. But then where should you put it? Oh, obviously on your brain that you think with and on your heart. So he's, he's saying that that's, a, that's not just the normal way to do something or the most effective practical way, but the most meaningful way. Right? So you would assume it means the most practical, effective, and meaningful way to do the mitzvah is the way that you assume it means. When it gives you any mitzvah. Right? It's a good tool. To think of. You don't need to go searching yeah. for a drashot about it. It's like, uh, <clears throat> okay, let's see. What's the next one? Okay. 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 Okay.
מהפעולות הנזכרות בו, מהפעוליות והדברים פעלויות, צריך, ומהדברים הנלווים לממרו. וכל שכן בעניינים הגדולים כמו הקורבנות והטלת העונשים, שכבר נקפיד בהם בכל אלו הצדדים, להרחיק שלא יעשו את הדברים הגדולים, כי אם מקום שהגבילה התורה, meaning if something is, if we see a certain condition or a certain restriction, okay, um, we don't want to, that when we're dealing with, when, when the Torah says something, like uh, certain conditions or certain uh, descriptions we assume are not generalized but actually are particular especially when we're dealing with something it's a very uh, serious matter so for example So sometimes the Torah will tell you something assuming that you understand that this rule should apply to it without having to mention it every time. Okay? So, for example, what is in the Torah? Let's say, for example, in terms of the description, it says, Ben. He has to be young enough that he's a son and not a father because he's called Ben Sorer Moreh. That means he can't be <coughs> On the other hand, he can't be too young because we can't punish the Ben Yisrael Moreh if he's too young. So he has to be close to being a man. What about actions? Okay? So sometimes we're taking the descriptions, like he's called a bin. They're, they're described as grabbing him with their hands. That to limit the range of the mitzvah, the application of the mitzvah. Mashal, Tafsu in that context, it literally means grab them, he's saying? Or like, he's they taking caught him it to do that. Why doesn't it just say, Yavi Oto? Why does it say Tofes? He's saying it means his hands. He's saying the Torah is trying to limit the... Uh, no, because it says they bring him to the Beit Din. So how do we know what kind of sins uh, the Kohen Gadol has to bring a Korban for? Because it says if he sins for that which the community would have to bring a korban for, but he sinned, so he has to bring a korban also. The idea is that sometimes you'll have an extra descriptor. That descriptor is limiting the range of the mitzvah um, to within those parameters. Okay? So we went from expansion to limitation because first we talked about not just taking the particular, but generalizing and not just taking local context, but looking at the broader context and having the passages shed light on each other, so to speak, right? Now we're, to, then we started to, and then, then we started talking about, you know, what is the definition of the word? What, what is the most natural, effective, meaningful way to do the action? That's going to limit it already. Right? That's a limiter. Right? And then we're talking what other descriptions are associated with this mitzvah that might be actually limiting its application to certain things. Okay? Based on the words that alone. 
וכן ידענו באור שם הנשיא הנזכרות בזאת הפרשה, מהעניינים הנלווים לו. וזה שכבר מצב העניינים הנדים לא קוראים לישראל ומשתתפים באופן מהאופני כי הכהן המשיח לא יהיה ממנו אלא איש אחד והוא משותף לכל ישראל והוא עליון על שאר הכהנים וכן חטא העם הוא משותף גם כן לכל ישראל לבית דין הגדול עליון על שאר השופטים שבכל שעת ושער ולזה יהיה רצון וזה הנשיא המלך שאין עליו אחר So he's taking another, another kind of thing like that, that But this time a limiter That The list of korbanot in Bayikra has the individual's korban, it has the Kohen Gadol's korban, it has the Nasi's korban, and it has the community's korban. So he says, just like there's only, the, when it talks about the community's korban, it means everyone together under, because it's the Bet Din, the one Bet Din of Israel. And when it says a Kohen Gadol, that there's only one Kohen Gadol for all of Israel. So when it says the Nasi, it doesn't mean the Nasi of the she, Shevet, it means the Nasi of all of Israel, meaning the Melech. Okay? So again, limiting. לא הנשיא אשר הוא נשיא השבט, שהמלך מושל בו, כי הנשיא אשר בזה התואר איננו משותף לכל ישראל, ואיננו עליון על שאר הנשיאים. Because you see that everybody who brings one of these special korbanot is shared by all of Israel, like the Bet Din, the Kohen Gadol, and is above everyone. The Bet Din is above, is over everyone. The Kohen Gadol is over everyone, so to speak. He's the Kohen of everyone. So too, it's talking about the Nasi is the Melech. So it's saying, From, the, from that which was associated with it, we can infer that it's also talking about only a nasi that there's only one, not a nasi of the Shevet that there's 12. So, so this is his way of showing you that just from reading the context, what could you infer about who this nasi is? That it's not just any stab nasi, it's the nasi, meaning the Melech. What would you infer about the Ben Soer Moreh when it says Ben, what age is he? When it says the parents grab him, they must be able to grab him. Right, and it says that the, uh, the Kohen Mashiach, what kind of sin does he have to do? From, the, from what, is, what extra description that it's described as Le'ashmata'am. He did something that the community would be culpable for. <coughs> right? Okay, so that's the... Uh, oh, he has even more examples. Mashal akher lema sheyivada me'advarim anilvim lamamaru. Vu yoter satum. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> והוא כשתרד התורה בזכירת פרטים בסידור מה וכייבה להם תנאים מסתומים. אוקיי? כשאתה נותן לך ספציפיקס, אבל נותן לך כמה קונדישיונות שנותנים. רואי שנלמד בהוראה מהדרגה אשר בפרטים ההם. אתה צריך ללמוד מההיררכיה שיש. למשל, כי זה התורה שזכרה בפרשת כוח. מתנות כהונה על מדרגותיהם. רצוני לומר שזכרה תחילה קודשי הקודשים. ואחר כן זכרה המורה מהשלמים ותודה ואל נזיר כי זה אצל פרשת כוח it's mentioning a different things you give to the Kohen קודשי קודשים then it mentions the parts that you separate from a קורבן שלמים to give to the Kohen it mentions the תודה it mentions the נזירס אל נזיר the part from the נזיר ואחר כך זכרה תרומה וחלה וביקורים וזכרה בקודשי קודשים שמצנאי אכילתם שיהיה הנאכלים במקדש ושיאכלו אותם זכרי כהונה לבד. So the קודשי הקודשים have a restriction. Only the male כהנים can eat it and only in the בית המקדש. What about the other מתנות כהונה? What about the rest of them? Right? ואחרי כן זכה במורם משלמים ותודה ולנזיר שמתנאי אכילתם שיאכל אותם כל תאורו בבית הכהן. So that's the next level. Anybody pure in the כהן's house can eat those. And then, ואחר זכה בתשומה וחלה וביקורים שמתנאי אכילתם שיאכל אותם כל תאור בבית הכהן. It says it again. 
אוקיי? והוא מבואר שמא הייתה הכוונה אחת בעומרת טהור בשני המקומות האלה. לא צריכה התורה לומר כל טהור בביתך יאכלנו כי אם פעם אחת. So why would they have three categories? Right? If they're all the same, קודשי קודשים, we know only the male כהנים in the בית המקדש. Other parts of the קורבנות, it says, you just have to be טהור in the family of the כהן. Then it says about חלן ביקורים and תרומה, also you have to be טהור in the house of the כהן. Why do you have to say it twice? Why didn't you lump the second and third category together? Okay, so it says, שאין הבדל בין שניהם אלו המינים מהקודשים. ולזה יחויה, שנאמר, כי הכוונה בטהור בשני אלו המקומות מתחלפת. It can't be that טהור means the same thing. must be a lower level again. Why? כפי שהתורה ירדה בזה בהדרגה מהנכבד יותר אל מה שלמדת ממנו. Because the Torah is going down in levels. למדנו כי הטהרה נזכרת באכילת המורה מישנמי ותודה ואל נזיר, הוא יותר שלמה. מהטהרה הנזכרת באכילת תורה ובאכילת ביקורים. We must say since there's three categories, they're going in order, the third category must be the lowest category. It can't be the same as the second category. והנה מצאנו שאכילת הקודשים בתורה שני מינים מהטהרה. האחד ערב שמש, שנאמ... כאומרו ובא השמש ותאר מחר יאכל מן הקודשים, והתורה השני הוא במחוסר כפרה, אחר עבד כפרתו. וזה שכבר... שכבר זכה התורה בפרשת אישה כי תזריה, שאינה תורה לאכילת הקודשים עד שתביא כפרתה, אף על פי שטבלה והריב שימשה, ואמרו בכל כושר תיגע, תרע, ואמר לך כן, וחיבר לה הכהן וטהר. מה למד שהטהרתה תהיה בכפרה לעניין אכילת הקדש. והנה יתברר מזה המקום שהטהרה יותר שלמה, תצטרך לאכילת המורה משלמים ותודעה ואין נזיר. התורה שלמדת ממנה, וערב שמש תספיק לאכילת תרומה וחלב וביקורים. So basically the idea is that from the fact that it's grouped in three groups. First group, you have to be only a male coin in the Beit HaMikdash. Second group, you have to be Tahor. Third group, you also have to be Tahor. So what's it adding? Oh, there's two levels of Tarah. There's Tarah that's called Mechusar um, Kippurim, or Herib uh, Shemesh, which means that you went to the Mikveh, but you still owe a Korban to the Beit HaMikdash, like a woman who gave birth. Mm-hmm. She owes a Korban to the Beit HaMikdash. So she goes to the Mikveh. That night, she's allowed to eat from the, from the Truma, just not from the Korbanot until the next day. That's in the first daf of Masechet Bachot. Right? To teach you that once it's nightfall, after you went to the mikveh, you can eat from the tshuma, just not from korbanot until you bring your korban. If you owe a korban, you have to wait. So he's saying, you see from this that there's a more complete tara and there's a less complete tara. Why? Because it mentions it twice. Parts of korbanot, you have to be taor. And then tshuma and chala and bikurim, you have to be taor. So obviously there's a lower level, meaning one of them is still connected to the mikdash and still connected to korbanot, the realm of korbanot. So it needs a higher level of tara. You have to have been... fully discharged of all your obligations related to purification. But to eat Shuma and Bikurim and Chala, it's more like the bread of the Kohen. So it has, it's a gift given to the Kohen. It's not connected to Korban. So therefore you're allowed to eat it if you just have the minimal Tara of Herib uh, Shemesh. Okay, so he's saying you can infer that from the Psukim because there's three categories. What would the meaning of the third category be if not a lower level? Okay, and then he shows that you see from the, the Ishaqi Tazriya, from the Yoledet, that she's not allowed to eat anything until it first says that she's not allowed to eat anything Kodesh until she reaches the end of her purification days. But then it says, no, the Kohen makes her pure with the Korban that she brings. It says, ah, you see, there's two kinds of Tara. There's one that allows her to eat 
Tuma and one that she needs during the day. He's learning. All, he's saying even from just from Torah Shebichtav, you can see that there's two different levels of Tara that a person can get. There's a further by the level. fact that they're treated differently. They're treated differently. And, and, they and by the woman, it says she's to, she's Torah after the days pass, but then it says no, she's to, Torah after the coin brings a korban. So which one is it? Oh, you see, there's different levels. There's Tara to be able to eat from a korban. You can't even owe a one of the uh, purification korbanot if you want to eat from the korban. But to eat truma, as long as you finish the days and you went to the mikveh and it's nightfall, you could eat. So the, he's saying you can infer that from the psukim themselves. Now, of course, like that requires really careful reading. And so you're noticing that it repeats. But actually, I thought that was pretty self, more straightforward than some of the other examples. Like, yeah, there's three categories. What is the third category adding? Got to be something. So he says, oh, well, you see that you can infer from elsewhere that there's two I, there's two I think levels. the trick is is even realizing that there are categories. Like right. It's not always spelled out like that. Like you have to just be reading systematically. Right. He's basically saying if we spent more time reading systematically and less time reading the drashot of the rabbis, yeah. these halachot, we would actually have a deeper understanding of how these halachot really are embedded in Torah Shebikhta. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea. So if anything, he's showing you like ways to approach your reading of the Torah and mm-hmm. ask these questions. Why did they call the whole twice? You know? There must be a reason. And, okay, that's Shish. Now we're up to Shishi. You want to read a little bit? or What time is it? Do you have to go? Mm-hmm. Well, we, have, we have like another solid seven minutes. Okay. Should be enough for one more, maybe? Yeah, if you read, uh, not if I read. Uh, okay, I'm going to go to Shishi. Who's your Oishin Namin Ketua? Tiskor Dvarim Al Tachlit. Who should be Tiskir? No, Amin Ketua. Yeah, we have to believe. It's proper to believe that the Torah will explain things al tachlit agvul sheikbelubo and at the ultimate hayazet imnoa olatir whether this is to prevent or to allow ki bazayem amarashalem because that's most perfect and we derchma mau alotir esh gam anashim yekpidu bazay because even people even human beings are careful about this v'zeh shemish yachol aset aserat kikarim derchma shal if a person can carry ten kikarim lo yomru alav shu yachol aset shmona kikarim. I'm not going to say, you know, he can lift uh, 10, he can bench press 10 pounds. That's nothing. All right? Uh, you'd say the most, right? If he can't even lift one, you're not going to say he can lift three. He can't lift three, right? Or if he can only lift one, rather, you're not going to say he can't lift three. You're going to say he can't lift two, right? Right? <coughs> Okay, quotes ourselves. Because the Torah is so perfect, of course, it's not going to mislead you with its words. Because we know that the Kohen takes the leg of the animal of the El Nazir, the Nazir's Korban, he takes just the, uh, the piece, one piece. Now there's a problem because the part that goes to the Kohen is actually a sore for Israel to eat. It's only allowed for a, for a Kohen to eat. But it was cooked together with the ayah. So how is he going to eat the rest of it? It's going to be uh, treif because he, he, he cooked with the, uh, with the leg of the Nazir. Uh, the leg that goes to the Kohen. So what do you learn from that? Do you know what they learned from that? But they, 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 that's what they learned. So it says, you learn from this that this is the most this is the paradigm of bitul right here the Torah legislated so I guess so 
It's teaching you that this is the ratio. The most you can give the, the Torah could give the Kohen was that one arm. Because if it gave him more, then it would have trafed up the entire Korban. That's basically what he's saying. Wow. Right? That's funny. Right? So, Ekikenu yachas azoen kol ayu. Lefi ma shebachanu azal. Vachin ha'inyan be ma shenimna mimenu measot melacha bemoadot. Ki ma shelo yitachin shikarei melacha, afo pishu chelek meamelacha, lo chivarot anotoral siyato. <coughs> so the same thing is true with melacha. If the Torah prohibits melacha, so that means it has to be a complete melacha. No chivat otan otwa la siyato. Kvar nitbeir ma shiitachin shikarei melacha, or ma shivshar bo shikarei ki chelak melacha. Etzo beorino elo mitzvah. He's going to explain what that means. The point, the point is that if the Torah prohibits a melacha, that means a complete melacha. Partial melacha is not going to be prohibited. Right. So the idea is that when the Torah mentions a certain example. It should be assumed that if it's if it's mentioning a ratio, that's the maximum, or that's the minimum required to be chayav, or that's the maximum that's permitted. So if the Torah gives the kohen a piece of the el nazir, you should assume that's the maximum it could give without trafing up the el nazir, and that shows you that that's the uh, that that's the uh, the ratio. On the other hand, when it says you that melacha is prohibited, you assume that that's the minimum. Requirement to violate the holidays that it's a full melacha that anything less than that won't count. Now, of course, you could you could challenge the example from the El Nazir because you could say, well, maybe the reason Hashem didn't give the more than that was just because Hashem decided not to give it. Meaning, how do you know the reason why the Torah didn't give more than the Zroa of the El Nazir was because it didn't want to treat up the rest of the El Nazir? Well, why are you assuming that? Why are you assuming people want to give more? Right? It's interesting that he's assuming that he's assuming yeah. that. like. Uh, yeah, that it, it's showing you the maximum because it's the only case basically where you have a kohen, um, something prohibited to the Israel and something permitted to the Israel is one body because normally, normally you give from the shlamim, let's say, to the kohen, but you give it, meaning it's yours, it's kosher, right? Maybe it's cooked first it for you, and you, and then you, you give a piece, piece. right? But this you is like you give it and Here, then it's you're giving together. it and you're, you're cooking it together and then you give it to him. But that part is asur for you. It doesn't belong to you and you're giving it to him. It's like... Ah, uh, in the shamim, there's no specific part that's asur to you. Well, you're supposed to give certain parts, but it's a right. matana that you give. You, but you, it, are they... It's are not they, asur, but it's like you're supposed to give it to him. If he invites you, if he wants parts? to invite you over afterwards... Uh, like if it... Uh, is it specifically uh, like... No, no, like it is. It's certain parts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certain parts. But the point is that it's, it's something that you give from the meat of it. You don't, gi- you don't give after you cook. Meaning that's, that's the main point. So in other words, when you, you slaughter the shlamim, you take the parts, you give it to the coin, and then you go home and you cook the shlamim at home. Ah. Not cooked in the Beit HaMikdash or near the Beit HaMikdash as part of the service, and then you take part of it. It's the only case where you have, like, let's say, for example, a korban chatat. It can only be by a coin, but there's none of it that's eaten by Yisrael. A shlamim... Yeah, you give part of it to the Kohen, but that's before you cook it. So you never cooked it with the parts that are, uh, that are, are like that. So like you could, you could give it to the Kohen and then you could go over to his house and you could eat your part and you could cook his part, you could eat your part and there would be no problem as long as they're not together, cooked together, right? So, that I, so that the idea that he's saying is that, I guess, since this is the prototype of that kind of phenomenon where you have a combined, a bishul going on with the two things together... So if the Torah wanted to show you the idea where bitul is allowed, he's assuming that the Torah is giving you it in part to teach you the idea of bitul. Even though that's, you know, you could argue that no, maybe that's not true. I mean, you would have to have Torah Shabbat Pet to assume that. Right. 
They assume that you would have that Tvash Bob. But, because uh, you could say, no, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's not, meaning only if you assume that that's one of the main points of teaching about the Isle, would you come up with the, would you come up with the idea that it's teaching you the maximum of Bitul? Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because otherwise you could just say that it, that just happened to be. It just happened to be that it was, it could have been that the Torah would have given it more. It also would have been, but the, but the Torah, I want to give it more. I wanted to give it to the Nazir to you. Yeah. Who knows? But he's assuming that, no, since the Torah, this is an example of Bitul that it's giving us, it's meant to teach us that, so it's not going to teach us less than actually the maximum of, of, of when Bitul will work. Interesting, you know. Interesting. Okay. So what, what's our time? Exactly 120. Okay, so let's run to Minchasi if we make it, hopefully.